You're listening to Cards and Cubes, a show about board games that you didn't grow up playing. Welcome, welcome, everybody. This is episode 48 of Cards and Cubes, TrevCon 2021. We're your hosts. I'm Trevor. I'm Cristo. And I bet everybody's wondering what the heck is TrevCon? Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, TrevCon is basically when uh, Trevor becomes available for a week to play games, and we just kind of play as many games as possible within that week. Uh, we actually still had jobs during the week. We didn't take the whole week off. That would be kind of pretty crazy, actually. If you pretty awesome. Like, uh, awesome, I guess, is one way of putting it. Like playing <laughs> games for nine days straight, if you include like both weekends or something. But yeah, we just uh, kind of in during the week and the evenings, and during the weekends, almost all day, not quite. We basically played a lot of games. Yep. Yeah, it was good times. Trefcon. And uh, just so people don't think that I'm just like in love with myself and <laughs> naming things after myself, uh, Trevcon was kind of uh, it just got named that way um, because we for whatever reason ended up the first time we did it uh, we just played all the games at my house and so it, we just named it for where we were playing and now it's kind of become a sort of tradition where whenever I find myself uh, with time which is usually when uh, my wife and, and daughter are out of town I fill my time with productive things like board games when I'm not mm. working. <laughs> so this uh, this time we were able to get together with several friends of ours and uh, get in a lot of good games, actually. Um, so in today's episode, we're just going to go through those games and talk about what we did each day. But before we get there, I believe Hristo has concocted some kind of topic for us to discuss. Yep, it's not so much of a topic as just kind of the random thing that happened this week. And the random thing that happened this week is I actually watched uh, the Terra Mystica finals on YouTube. Um, it's not on TV yet, but uh, it's coming. <laughs> just kidding. That's kind of the joke. Is actually I've never really been interested in that kind of stuff before. But um, Matt, actually, um, who used to, was on the podcast a while ago, um, he is involved in uh, Terra Mystica tournaments, and uh, he told me that people are broadcasting it and stuff. And uh, I just kind of want to check it out and just kind of see what it is. And yeah, it's uh, people who have a nice overlay for board game arena, basically. That's like pulling out elements out of the web page uh, in spectator mode are just kind of talking over a Terra Mystica game for a couple of hours. And uh, it's, yep, that's it. <laughs> so, <laughs> how, so, yeah. Uh, how was it? Uh, I didn't like pay a lot of attention because it was actually at work and I was mostly just like listening while working on other stuff. Uh, kind of interesting actually, yeah. Uh, I was also thinking kind of like at the level that people are playing the, where you can kind of uh, predict a lot of stuff. Actually really close games is um, how, how it was. I watched the finals, like a couple of finals videos. They're probably like the first... I think actually they are literally the first two hits on YouTube if you type in like Terra Mystica Final. Uh, most recent ones, I think 
they have tournaments all the time. Apparently, they were actually advertising like tournament for like Can't Stop and some kind of like silly games. There was a tournament for Agricola coming up and just all kinds of weirdness. Uh, not too many views, as you might imagine. It's like the nichest of niche things. And yeah, that's kind of the joke about them being on TV. But yeah, really, really close games is how it was. Um, they obviously are playing the bidding variant where you bid for particular like considering the round end goals for particular races at the beginning and uh yeah the games are all kind of like within 10 points which is just kind of crazy um yeah but it's uh, it's kind of interesting actually watching like a four player game of something because um there is a lot of kind of blocking and you could say kind of take that ish mechanics in Terra Mystica, basically denying people things by blocking it or just there was a play in one of the videos that I saw of someone like not giving uh, power to someone to be able to kind of like slow down their economic expansion and just kind of like stuff like that. Uh, so yeah, just, just kind of an interesting experience basically. I've never really like uh, listened to a commentary about Terra Mystica before, but it was mostly about kind of like how people are developing and what their next moves are and who looks like it's, is winning and just uh, analysis about strengths and weaknesses of races and yeah, all the basically nerdy stuff about Terra Mystica that you might imagine. Yeah. So now that seems like it wouldn't be... I don't know if interesting is the right word, but like you wouldn't be able to feel that you were really understanding what's going on unless you've played Terra yep. Mystica maybe like 300 times. Yeah, yeah, that's actually completely true. That's the other thing about it is as niche as it is, it's also really, well, like I say, the nichest of the niche things because uh, they're using also terms which I was like, what the heck are they talking about? And I've played Terra Mystica like... I don't know, 10, 15 times or something, maybe actually more than that. Uh, just like specific terms, they have the whole board like a chess board with like a designation like C1, D3 or whatever. Um, and some other like weird terms in the game that I hadn't really heard before. But um, I eventually caught on to what they're talking about. And yeah, you basically have to be really knowledgeable about Terra Mystica for that stuff to be interesting. I think otherwise you're going to be like, what the heck is this? <laughs> like, what are they even talking about? Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, but it, basically, yeah, they're just like showing the board and just talking over it for two hours. It's kind of like just watching a web browser for two hours, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's it's actually kind of interesting, like what people are doing and how the game is developing. I feel like it could have been like some kind of a. Uh, compressed like uh, gosh what is it called it's time time where it's going faster than not real time but time lapse com uh, compressed time basically like a, a time lapse yeah the time lapse actually exactly is what I'm looking at for uh, something like uh, quad accelerated so it's like times four real time or something I think that'd be kind of more interesting because I was kind of interested in how the game overall played out I wasn't super interested in like someone sitting for a minute thinking about if they should buy a house somewhere and exactly where they're going to put their house and stuff you know <laughs> those kind of things so I feel like uh, maybe if they condensed the game to like 20-30 minutes that would actually be a lot more interesting uh, to watch just as an interesting idea but that put a wrench in broadcasting live i guess which is what they were doing so yeah kind of kind of weird yeah interesting 
but yeah that's a thing so Terra Mystica and I guess other tournaments are a thing there's channels which broadcast them and there's commentators and yep I wonder what you have to do to get into a can't stop tournament because it, you you literally can't be good at that game. Yeah, <laughs> I mean you can like kind of I don't know. It's all push your luck, so you just you like can decide. Feel, you can yeah. feel the luck. You can <laughs> yeah. feel if it's gonna be a good roll, and you can feel exactly when when you're gonna get wrecked by the dice. So yep. it's all it's all that. Uh, no, I mean I think for most of those tournaments, how do you get in? You just like anyone can register, and I bet they're not broadcasting like every single match clearly they're just broadcasting like the finals or whatever that actually would be kind of hilarious maybe i should watch like the finals of uh can't stop and see like the highest skill in can't stop and yeah <laughs> i'm making fun of it but yeah they actually did have a couple of people who supposedly have been involved in like the terra mystica community which again like what is the terra mystica community don't ask me but matt is probably in it uh for years they were one of two of the finalists and it was kind of interesting to just kind of see people who play Ter terra mystica a lot i guess and yeah there's um there's a weird niche thing that has its like heroes apparently, and that's that's a thing. So yeah, yeah the the terramista community is a it's a dark and scary place. Yeah, I bet Hold like up. they uh, I bet they get stopped on the streets all the time and just like oh my gosh, it's like this guy <laughs> and he's like yeah. a terramista like legend and let me take a picture. I want your autograph and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but because you can definitely see him when he's playing <laughs> <laughs> yeah actually it was kind of interesting for one of the things they had videos of them as you might imagine they were really exciting people sitting in front of uh the screens and just kind of thinking and yeah yep <laughs> that sounds like great tv <laughs> <laughs> yeah no actually yeah, I, I was kind of impressed actually as much as i'm making fun of it they did a pretty decent job at just kind of like organization the interface uh, commentary so yeah good time yeah i mean if you're super into terra mystica or even yeah i guess based just kind of into terra mystica that'd be something interesting to watch yep clearly aimed at hardcore enthusiasts but they did a pretty good they do a pretty good job of i think like uh, just kind of the whole experience i guess cool all right well let's uh let's start reliving trevcon 2021 Sounds good. All right, so we started uh, TrevCon 2021 on the evening, that fateful day, May 31st, 2021. Uh, actually, during the day, Hrisu and I went over to somebody's house um, who kind of runs SaltCon here in Salt Lake City and uh one of played, the organizers there's yeah. several organizers so yeah one of the people yes one of the one of the many organizers um and over there we played beyond the sun and gods love dinosaurs how'd you like those games Risto? uh actually i was really impressed by beyond the sun uh that was a game i wanted to talk about in more detail um god's love dinosaurs was just kind of okay i came in uh, actually it wasn't as bad as i thought but that's not saying much because i came into the game kind of expecting it to be really bad um 
But it is it was an interesting kind of like puzzle game. Um, Trevor didn't realize that uh, some of the scoring markers were actually <laughs> with a designation of five points. So he was taking them as ones, and uh, it caused kind of a ridiculous thing around the table where someone was like, "How are you scoring like thirty points? What the heck? What is this cheating?" Yeah, uh, I got so. accused of cheating. <laughs> <laughs> not like not like seriously, but he looked. We were probably not too far into the game, and I had at that point like maybe 10 points and the guy looks over he's like how do you have 35 points there's no way yeah. and so like he kind of like made me start recounting how i got them and i was like yeah no i that's that's one point right he's like no that's five like yeah. oh okay yeah there's basically scoring markers in the game which are very cute which are like dinosaur eggs and some of them are golden which are supposed to be five points so yeah uh but anyway simple kind of like a tile laying game and um drafting tile lane concept where uh, the interesting thing about it is uh, when tiles are exhausted there's kind of an activation phase of things that move around the tiles uh, which is the animals which are consuming other animals and then the whole point is for the dinosaurs to be fed which are spawning on these volcanoes on the tiles so kind of kind of an interesting puzzle but i feel like a little bit chaotic maybe dependent on what other people choose and uh, just kind of generally a lighter game so i don't know what your thoughts were your thoughts were about that yeah, same as you. I was going in expecting to not really care for it at all, and then was somewhat pleasantly surprised that it was kind of fun to play, but like you said, it's just chaotic and really light and not, not really a whole lot to think about, so it's just... Uh, just sit down and have fun and kind of turn your brain off, and that's that's uh, about it. Yeah, I didn't hate it, but I probably wouldn't suggest it as like a pick, really. Um, Beyond the Sun was pretty awesome, though. I uh, also actually maybe that's the key for me. F clearly, is to go in with like really low expectations because I think it's like a first-time designer and uh, it's Rio Grande, which do have some awesome games, but they also have some like really not awesome games. Um, they just kind of publish all, publish all kinds of stuff, and the game did not sound good actually to me and concept because the whole game is a tech tree um it i didn't really uh find out until i actually started reading the rules and looking into it but uh basically half the game i'd say is the tech tree the other half is a kind of an area majority combo type game because the theme of the game is you it's in the future and i think the earth is has exhausted its resources so the entire world pulls together and creates a space program and they start exploring space to try to find a new home which thematically is that sideboard that i didn't really realize was in the game even where you're exploring planets and actually fighting for them because uh, apparently um when exploration starts and like it's viable that the human race will continue again the conflict starts of people trying to exploit more resources and get dominate more than other people so there's an element of kind of strife a little bit and just fighting over resources when i say fighting it's kind of not so much fighting it's basically majorities i don't think there's an effect which destroys anything there's an effect which kind of pushes things around and takes majorities from people uh, but there's no like direct destroy your stuff kind of stuff in the game uh, the tech tree aspect of it was pretty interesting actually it kind of reminds me of games like Kalos it really turns into kind of a you create a worker placement 
uh, economy or something because in the beginning they basically are worker placement spaces uh the the tree itself is worker placement so yeah you kind of are creating um kind of like a an, an economy i guess of just actions so yeah what are your thoughts about that trevor you sounded like you wanted to say something yeah i think that like you i was surprised that this would be such a popular game um and it doesn't look like it would be a popular game is the funny thing too because the the production overall is just really bland and almost prototype looking because you're the the player boards in front of you are just basically white the board and the main board where you're laying down cards is functional but like I don't even remember any distinct feature from it. Uh, then there's this like space exploration board that is really small, actually. So there's yep. not a whole lot to look at. So the the production is just kind of strange. The idea is just kind of strange as to why it would be so popular. But I thought this was just a cool game. I enjoy. I en- really enjoyed the aspect of. You know, you could pick a path that you wanted to go because there's sort of there's four different types of, uh, I guess, buildings or texts that you can research. And uh, you probably are not going to be able to do well at all of them because there are certain synergies that you have to develop through the game. So you're probably going to do well in two, possibly three of the colors of texts. And then you just push as hard as you can go. So I really enjoyed the aspect of building, having a say in what worker placement spots were available. That was cool. And then I thought that the space exploration track was really just the method of resource or, or of getting your engine off the ground. Um, because the, the way you... Um, you increase your production. There's two things you can produce basically in the game is you, you produce people and you produce coal, which is kind of funny because it's a, <laughs> it's a space exploration game with coal is like the main resource. Yeah. Uh, it's actually not coal. We kept calling it coal, oh, which is was it? hilarious. And we started like uh, laughing about it. It's ore. <laughs> ore is oh, the official. It's ore. Uh, but I was kind of joking about coal because the person teaching the game kept calling it coal and it kind of like stuck, unfortunately. Uh, we were making jokes like you're yeah. like coal baron in space and like you're running like steam steam spaceships uh, with with yeah. running on coal and stuff. But yeah, it's ore. It's supposed to be. Oh, ore. okay. Well, it's ore. Still so a like raw mining resource. or something, I guess thematically. Yeah. yeah. So on on this on your player board, you've got these discs on those two production tracks, and as you pull the discs off, your production can increase. And so the game early game is about figuring out well, how do I get those discs off? And there's a couple of places where you can do it, but slowly on the on the main worker placement board. But on this space exploration board, you can just put ships out there, send them around the galaxy. And, and as, you're, as you sort of have this majority control of these different sites, you drop disks down. They may there be there only temporarily because other players can knock them off. But all you care about is that, well, short term, all you care about is that on your turn at the very end you do production and so you want to have as many discs out at the end of your turn as possible and so i found a way i mean several of us found ways during the game to like have a massive movement turn and throw four discs down onto this board and and get production so i i thought it was a neat system it's it's cool and i'm i'm looking forward to playing it again 
Yeah, when you're talking about it, that's also something I liked about it is uh, it seems like it's very kind of combo-tastic, like games like Toa, but it feels like you can kind of run your engine more. Basically, I think along the tree, there are some cheese things that you can do, like some tech that's really good, and you can basically gear your engine kind of to produce that stuff that it requires, which like, for example, I had a thing that like pumped a ton of spaceships in, onto the spaceship board. So I kind of I kind of like those games. Yeah, the only concern I would have in, with the game is that it does depend on some, like I say, cheesy things. Like for example, I got like eight points, which is pretty huge. I think it's like the winning score was like sixty-two or something. Uh, and I got like eight points of 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 my score by just copying something that Trevor was actually doing from like a completely different yep. tech branch. So it's just kind of <laughs> like uh, there's some weird things about it. Some cards that come out are also really kind of powerful and you have to be very like opportunistic. So maybe a little bit chaotic, but I kind of really enjoyed playing the game and the theme obviously helps because I think some the things that you're doing are very thematic in the way which I like, which is not like super obvious. There's like people turning into spaceships, for example, and like colonies turning into like boxes, uh, people from colonies turning into boxes. But thematically, if you think about it, like people are going into the spaceships and the colonies are sending goods back to Earth or something for trade goods or whatever. So everything kind of makes sense if you think about it, but in a very abstract way. Um, also, like the board, which is the exploration board, only has two spaces, but you can imagine that you're kind of like going outwards in space and exploring more and more systems because as you colonize them, they get replaced. So basically, just your attention turns to like the next planet in space. So it's very kind of abstract, but it totally uh, kind of pulls you in. At least it pulls me in as a fan of space games, and I liked it a lot. So, yep, that's uh, Beyond the Sun. Yeah, it's a good game. Uh, so after we played that, we headed over to uh, Demolition Games to meet up with some friends, and we played Cryo, Tornay, and Nut So Fast. I'll bet you know which one is the heaviest of those. <laughs> it made me. It made me cry, kind of. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we actually played Cryo a couple of times um, over Trevcon, and so this is a Tom Jolly and Luke Laurie game uh, published by Z-Man Games. And basically, at its core, it's a simple worker placement game with a little bit of engine building and some area control in it. So, so basically, what the, game is, the course of the game is you start out, everybody has um virtually i think symmetrical start to the game other than player adjustments yeah it's the same and uh everybody has three drones which are your workers for the duration of the game so there's no more unlocking additional workers and the the rhythm of the game is that you place your drones in these spots to uh pick up these pods which will you'll then load into these uh to vehicles and then send them into caves so that they don't freeze when the sun goes down that at the end of the game the sun thematically goes down and if anything's left out they freeze um or you're sending your drones to pick up uh tiles that then you'll plug into your player board to uh to produce resources basically do a bit, little bit of engine building or you can um you can pick up and play cards and the cool thing I, li I like about the cards actually is that the cards are are multi-use so depending on where you play your card 
uh, you could play it along the top of your board to be an ongoing effect, uh, just an upgrade. Or you can play it along the bottom of your board to be a one-time use vehicle to carry pods into caverns. Or you can play it to the left of your board, use it as uh, endgame scoring points. Or you can actually just discard cards from your hand once per turn to scrap them and get resources shown on them. So I like the fact that you can use cards for a lot of different things in the game. Um, and then ultimately what you're trying to do is you're trying to pick up pods and take them into the cave, which is this there's this cave route along the southern you know the 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 bottom half of the board and it basically becomes a majority's game of you try to get your pods more pods than any other player in caverns to score points um so what did you think about cryo Risto? did it make you cry um yeah it did make me cry that was the joke uh the thing is uh it's a fine game i'm not really i wasn't super excited about it to begin with and the feeling kind of stayed the same after i played it like you say it's kind of a little bit plain to me um plain meaning like i don't know if i've really figured it out actually the first time we played it we had a group thing thing that was really weird but then the second time we played it i think it played better uh, but yeah, it's just, it's just kind of like not really super exciting for some reason. I think it's like you say, because the actions that you're doing are, are a little bit basic. It does have the basic, basically the, the, the beginning of the game. It's like, um, do you pick up points or do you pick up engine? And obviously like, I think it's obvious at least, I don't know. I've actually, I was thinking about it. Maybe can you really super rush the game and pick up points to begin with? I think that's kind of a disaster. You have to have a little bit of an engine to play the game and do well. Yeah, I think you would run out of resources and not be able to just spam stuff if you were trying yeah. to get points early on. Or maybe just like try to uh, squeeze uh, to get your pods out as quickly as possible and just load them all in like the first cavern for the cheapest possible price with some cheese like that just to like end the game like really quickly. That's uh, something to be tried maybe. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's kind of like a game where you make some kind of engine or the best you can muster and then at some point you just like do an inflection point towards points and then it becomes basically an area majority game where you're constantly sp splitting points with other people and kind of deciding who wins the game uh to me kind of not terribly exciting um for some reason there's just i don't know the game feels a little bit just kind of slow and yeah, just not not exciting. Also, the thing is, it's not variable, which is the, uh, the I think the biggest thing that for the longevity of uh, playing the game over and over. Uh, there's nothing really that changes. Yes, you can go for different goals from your cards, but the, there's only like six cards I think in the game, so you get a lot of duplicate cards, which is not a problem because they're multi-use and you can use them. And many times, actually, that's like kind of the highlight of the game for me is the multi-use cards because I really like that mechanic. But the worker placement and air majority is just kind of like whatever. <laughs> I kind of yeah. don't really, no, I don't I really care you. for those aspects of the yeah. game. So yeah, I agree with you. Other than other than the multi-use cards, there's there's not a whole lot that's like super unique about this game. It's it's not a bad game. It's just that I don't know that it stands apart from other really good yeah. games in this category. Um, and and just to kind of highlight uh, the the first time we played the game, I didn't have any problems with the mechanics or anything. I mean, we've been talking about that it's kind of simple and and not super interesting but that doesn't mean it's a bad game that just means our tastes are 
we would like something a little more interesting going on. Um, but the the issue we were we were having in the first game is that ev- so you can pull your when you pull your drones back, you're going to pick up this incident tile, and the the there's a finite number of incident tiles uh, before the game ends. And so when you're pulling your workers back, the mechanic for that is that it's progressing the the end game. And so the first game we played every single player always it was the same it was play all three of your workers and then pull but nobody ever pulled early which um i think was maybe not how the well i'm pretty convinced that that's not how the game was supposed to be played but that's just kind of how we did it and then the second time um, we played it we we changed that that rhythm up and you started pulling early when uh, I mean, you you do get things when you pull, so you get that's when you run your engine is when you pull your workers back, and so we were we were pulling at different times to to try to run it, and that forced the game end, which kind of made you think about decisions more, and so it became less bland and a little more interesting, but still kind of, in my opinion, this is kind of like a forty five minute game. Yeah, yeah. Also, it goes really fast. Uh, yeah, I think the first time we played it, there was a group thing thing that like you have to be efficient with your workers because everyone's a Euro gamer and they're like, oh, it's really bad to not use your workers and stuff. But I think that's kind of an error in judgment because you can get some really good stuff out of those tiles that Trevor's mentioning. And if there's a good tile out and you have like a decent conversion engine, it actually, I think, makes sense like even resource-wise to pull early and get the stuff that otherwise you would just kind of have a kind of a lesser turn uh especially if you're not first first player them technically there's no first player really you just kind of keep going in a circle forever but like just to kind of change up the beat of the game or whatever uh but yeah the overall i'd say it's kind of slightly boring unfortunately some people really do like it though the game has pretty decent reviews uh, my to me is just uh just a little bit kind of bland is how i feel about it that's kind of my my opinion of it yeah, I mean it's a it's a decent design. It just doesn't have a whole lot of intrigue, I think. Um, yeah. Actually, you know what? I found myself wanting to play when we were playing this is I I wanted to play Darwin's Journey because more interesting to me than kind of building this engine that happens when you bring your worker back and slot it. I wanted my drones to develop unique powers and different things they could do when I place them, and that that just isn't really part of this game so that that was an element that i thought would have made it a little more interesting for me yeah it is kind of unique actually i don't know if there's a lot of games that have done exactly what it's doing um it is somewhat unique i'll give it that but i don't know if it's in an interesting way yeah so i'd, I'd probably play this anytime someone wanted to play it um but i i just i don't think it stands out in the pack is is my ultimate conclusion oh. but it's fine well- yeah, what I wanted to mention also is there's two ways for a game to end, and it's really kind of both of them are rushy, which is something that's a red flag from flag for me in games that didn't really make me too angry in this one. But in general, I kind of don't like where uh, the one way for the game to end is for everyone to deliver their pods, which is like the scoring mechanic, which makes me think like I don't know if there's a viable mechanic to just like dump them all in the first cavern and like the cheapest just to end the game. The other thing is uh, someone has to choose for the game to end which is kind of there is warning I guess you can obviously see the tiles coming up but uh, usually not my favorite mechanic like someone just like chooses like oh game's over right now it's like that's actually what happened the second game the first game we ended with pods all going out which means we maxed out 
everybody maxed out their points. Yeah. Uh, and then I, the I didn't second max game. Out my oh, you didn't max out points. <laughs> uh, but then the second, or one of us <laughs> maxed out the points. Yeah. Uh, the second game, it came to my turn, and I had the option of ending the game or allowing one more round. And I looked around the table and I said, well, if I allow it to go one more round, I'm I'm going to fall behind. So I ended it. <laughs> or I, I think it was something like Matt was going to get more points. I was going to just get the same as you or something. So it might as well yeah. just end it. So Yeah, yeah so I, I decided to end it. And I, I didn't end up... I think I lost the game by like one or two points or, or something like that. But it, it was actually a good decision for me to just end the game. So to Russo's point, if you don't... If you don't like the fact that a player can just decide to end the game, which I don't mind depending on the context. I didn't mind it in this game. Maybe it's because I was the one <laughs> the one ending the game. Uh, but yeah, if you don't like that, you might not like Cryo so much. Yep. Uh, all right. So then the next day we played... Um, we also played Tournay. We did talk about it, but I think we've talked about Tournay before. Um, yeah another cheesy card engine game the unique thing about this play of it was uh trevor had actually kind of kick-started the economy on a pretty high gear and i think this was the most rushy tournay game i've ever really seen uh to date i didn't even get to build out my whole tableau which was a disaster i still was only like one point behind mostly through just some lucky kind of pulls ish off the top of the scoring deck uh yeah but kind of kind of interesting i i still like the game uh very interesting but this play was kind of something different i guess from that perspective very very fast game compared to our previous games i actually really liked it and and to be clear Teresto says he didn't get to build his whole thing out but he so i won that game with 33 points and he ended with 31 so like it was an interesting dynamic where we were pushing fast and everybody was buying everybody's uh, workers and, you know, basically just it was you weren't able to do everything you wanted to do, which created, in my opinion, a, a neat tension. But we were all very close uh, within yeah. five points of each other by the end of the game. So I, I yeah. just think that it's such an outstanding design, in my opinion, that it, it, it ends up like that, even in a game where you feel like you're just getting wrecked the whole time. Yeah, I feel like Tournay is very unique that way because everyone scores everyone else's goal, so that definitely helps. But I think the way the way the game went was uh, basically you built a card and I immediately copied it, which gave a lot of coins like instantly, and that's why basically everyone was buying workers, everyone else's workers uh, throughout the rest of the game. It was yep. actually kind of incredible. In the last round, I would have had more points, but and I had the coins, obviously, because everyone had tons of coins, but there were no workers to buy around the board because uh, the weird thing about it is anyone can use anyone else's workers you just have to have coins to buy them and it's actually pretty cheap so what ends up using is like your workers are never really your workers they just go around the table and everyone just buys them and then you buy theirs and it's just like a <laughs> just everyone buys everyone else's workers so you're kind of just uh you can think of it as like an economy, really, not anything that you really own. Things are constantly kind of changing hands, which is cool. Uh, I like that system, and uh, both Toa and Tournay are very like unique as far as that goes, because in the, in most games, like you own your stuff and no one can touch it. In this one, like anyone can buy anything almost any time. People can copy stuff, and it's just like, yeah, kind of interesting. Yeah, basically, I I view 
workers or dice in Tornayan. There's a resource as, kind of. Yeah, it's it's a resource that you can rent to other people. Yep. Uh, they don't have to get your permission to rent it, <laughs> but uh, but you rent it to them nonetheless. And it's yeah, it's interesting because even down to the stuff that you think you're getting for yourself, that's just part of your economy, which I I think is cool. Yeah, usually that kind of stuff kind of bothers me, but not in those games because then you can buy the exact same thing from someone else. So it's just kind of circulating around the table. So who cares? Yep. Yep, I think it's a cool system. Uh, yeah, and like I said, we also played Nut So Fast, which is just a yeah, yeah, strange whatever. game. But we're gonna we're gonna move on. It's like a fast uh, slap slap. I think we've actually talked about it on the podcast as well before sometime. It's a fast yeah. slap joke game that we play as a comic relief once in a while. Yep. Uh, when we have five minutes left at the end of the day. Yep. <laughs> okay, so the next day on, on uh, Tuesday, June 1st, we played Genotype, a Mendelian genetics game in Praga Kaputregni. Um, both really cool games, in my opinion. Genotype was interesting. Uh, it's all about uh, <laughs> basically creating your... Genotypes. Ideal, your ideal genotypes and pea patch so that you can be the greatest pea grower in the whole world. Um, it's really just a simple worker placement game. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, again, this one, maybe I just am not getting the picture. I don't, I don't know what makes this one super unique because really over the course of the game, what you're doing is you're just... Um, I guess the unique part of this is that you're uh, you're influencing um, basically what's the what's the four by four or the two by two grid called? I uh, I don't know the technical term of it. I actually had not really heard about the science. They don't really teach it. I think uh, in Bulgaria at least. Um, I don't know the Mendelian genetics. Is that what Mendelian square? Is that what it's called? Uh, well, so Gregor Mendel is the, that's what it's named after, why it's named after is Mendelian. Uh, phenotype traits, I'm looking at the, seeing the BGG has, yeah, well, explanation has it. Yeah, well, Trevor's uh, p- p- Punnet Square or something is what it is. Punnet? Punnet yes. Square. Yes, that's the one. Yep. So basically, like, during the the game, you're, you're trying to, you collect these P plant cards and those pea plants have certain traits with them you'll either have like a big f and a little f or a big r and little r it's just it's or GG. dominant or my G- favorite is gg yeah my favorite was fufu. uh <laughs> yeah that goes with your score i think in the game so yeah, yeah. <laughs> so basically you're you're trying to collect um cards that have these uh dominant or recessive gene traits, capital letters being dominant, lowercase being recessive. And there are ways on the on this worker placement board to um, change which, there's four different colors that correspond to the different letters, and you can change which letters are going to be available to in that pundit square to then, um, you know, pick up, it's a dice drafting mechanic where you pick up a die that corresponds to a certain square on this grid and then when you pick up that die you will then place a little pea, pot, pea plant token on your cards on in front of you and when you finish getting all the traits of that particular plant you'll then garden and pick 
you'll pick them up and you'll score those points at the end of the game. And then the rest of the game um, is about trying to make that better by either getting, uh, what is it, specialist or character cards that... Assistant, uh, I think, ass- is a technical yeah, term. Assistants um, that, uh, like, totally break the game <laughs> and, and make make your powers... What, what did you call your uh, Father Trelario? <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, it's Father Trelario. I was making fun of it because his name ends with Ari something. Uh, well, let me just look it up, but yeah. Uh, anyway, there are some... I was going to talk about it, but yeah, you can go into it. That's fine. Uh, yeah, I'll let you come back to Father Trelari. But basically, there's assistance you pick up, then you try to get money so you can buy like dissertation spots so you're just like giving dissertations on your peas and then um you can also pick up like tools that help you do better in your garden so like a rake might let you do um you know change change a die to the face you want or just there's just tool cards that boost your actions and then you'll pick up more p cards and you can unlock a couple of different extra workers so i mean it's overall i think it's a pretty straightforward game but i found it fun to play um risa what did you think about it yeah i was gonna say actually unfortunately uh the game really kind of oozes with theme and it looks very cute and um it's a kickstarter game not surprisingly because it has really good components uh really cool like the tools your workers are these like spades uh spades for like planting plants is what i mean uh so the production is really cool looks really attractive looks really awesome the theme uh 100 is a game i think unfortunately my opinion is not good um i think it's just kind of uh too much luck basically and some questionable design decisions um we were talking about basically first player moves left so the game's five rounds so in a four-player game uh there's someone who is first two times in the game and Which is it's a worker, really good <laughs> and it's a worker placement game so like well it's a good strategy i guess to be a it's first player uh for your worker placement stuff yeah. there's no space <laughs> which can influence that uh the offset supposedly is that there's this buying phase for upgrades which goes reverse so the last player goes first which includes an additional action so i was just kind of talking about like i don't know if people really understood the game we played it one time before so it wasn't my first play but i think the supposedly the theme is like the last player should get the action first the extra action so maybe that's their like catch up or something or i don't know i don't know what the supposed thinking is but uh suffice it to say basically this is a light game like pretty light in my opinion um, a lot of the dice drafting, so-called dice drafting, uh, you can change the genotype uh, tiles. So, like, you roll dice and you match them on this Punnett square or whatever it's called to the what they actually produce, like capital G or whatever. Sometimes people change them so they all produce the exact same resource. So, like, it's like dice drafting for the same thing. So, you might as well just, like, plan to get that thing you know what i mean like there's no the dice drafting i don't find particularly compelling unfortunately and even if you uh go somewhere the dice get rolled after the actions are finished so you're basically bidding maybe there's spaces where you can like go first in the dice picks but you don't see what the roll is so you that pick might not matter 
<laughs> yeah. even a little bit. Like you might sometimes, go first and then like, well, yep. I didn't want any of these things. No, no, no. You might go first <laughs> and like all five dice roll the exact same thing. So like you just basically wasted an action in a five round game of like probably like 25 actions or something 15 i don't know uh so it's just like ridiculous and also on the last round uh you're trying to finish these plants and uh the point difference to finish the plant or not finish it is like significant and again depends on the dice roll so maybe you just get the dice you need maybe you don't and the difference is like 15 points in a 60 point game so it's just like are you freaking kidding me uh there's just like basically a lot of luck uh with the dice there's a lot of kind of weirdness with the assistants by the way i found his name um his uh dr trolla or father trolla holy presence is actually somewhere around the rule book. Father Omari is what his name is. Um, the Trollari there is you get a personal die drafting phase, which is only we only roll one die. But again, like w because people change the tiles, sometimes you can basically kind of almost guarantee that you're gonna get a specific like thing and plan for it. So I really think that card is kind of quite powerful. The TBH. But uh, generally, just kind of a really lucky light game. It has some kind of shades of engine building and something like, I haven't played it, but I've heard that the Gates of Luoyang or something is kind of like that. And just kind of those kind of build up games. It reminds me of actually Spirits of the Rice Paddy a little bit, where it's just basically some kind of a, like um, engine building towards ever increasing amounts of stuff. Uh, the engine building is not so much. It's more of a worker placement space, uh, a board uh, game, sorry, <laughs> worker placement game. But um, yeah, like I say, the theme is really cool. They also, the assistants have these like um, really funny, kind of like almost like terraforming Mars live actors, but I don't. I, I was actually thinking they're photos, but Trevor's telling me they're not photos. They look like photos to me that have been like retouched, but a lot of them are kind of like nuns. I don't know if it has to do with the history of like the uh, Punnett Square or whatever. I don't know if he was a monk or whatever, or I'm not sure, sure about the history, but like the whole game is like really cute, but as a game, in my opinion, very light and kind of lucky. Well, Gregor Mendel was a. Uh, among other things he was a biologist and an augustinian friar so like yeah that's that's why his assistants may have been you know church related people yeah not knowing the history i was curious uh why like half the people that are helping you are like uh, sister elizabeth brother alipius and father omari sister maria uh basically everyone's like in a convent or something or i don't know just a church person so <laughs> yeah uh, really really well, the, cool like if you enjoy the theme if you're playing the game for the theme i think you're gonna have a lot of fun if you're looking for like a strategic game with a lot of deep game like decisions i don't think this is gonna be your game to be honest yeah i think you just need to it's kind of funny because it it has the look of a game that might be a little heavier yeah um but once you get into it uh, there's not a ton of depth. And what you should do is kind of always a little obvious. Um, and then there's this, the tool cards and the, uh, the assistant cards just help you break rules to get to where you want to go. Um, but I, I found the process of playing the game uh, entertaining at least. Uh, because I enjoy worker placement style games. I enjoy games like this. But yeah, like you said, this is not super 
super heavy. So it has a little bit of crunch, but you'll be disappointed, I think, if you're coming into this looking for something really um, with a lot of interesting depth. Yep. No, I mean, like, I'm just thinking to myself, basically, I would kind of play Coimbra over this or something, which is very similar. Not really, but I don't know. Like I say, if you like the theme and that makes the game awesome for you, I think you're going to like it. I'm actually surprised there's like a really glowing reviews for this game. Uh, no one's complaining about like the lucky die rolls and stuff, which or is very rare. Or going first twice. <laughs> or going first twice <laughs> in five rounds. Uh, basically, don't play with five people play with two and a half people and then you're gonna be yep. just perfect <laughs> so volunteer someone in your group to get cut in half and then you'll have <laughs> yeah. a perfect game <laughs> no actually what they do in uh, really good games like uh, Toa is if there's a four four rounds in a three-player game whoever's lowest on points goes first on the last round or something they didn't even do that it's basically just like well go left yeah, I think Twa's, the expansion for Twa even has a, a tournament variant where on the final round you pass the first player marker to the right. So oh, whoever, yeah, that's the other thing. Yeah, yeah whoever yeah. was last before now becomes first for the final round. But anyway, um, cool, cool theme, though. Yeah, so that's uh, Genotype. And then we also played Praga Kaput Regni again. We've talked about that on the show before. Um, I still really like the game. I think it's cool. I think Christo's cooling on it a little bit, but uh... Uh, I never really liked it to begin with. And yeah, the latest play basically, it's like a really frustrating game of a bunch of issues where you kind of don't really ever get what you want. And unfortunately, in other games, you can flex. I feel to something that's like about as good and just kind of take a different path. I think in Prague, unfortunately, sometimes the, the what you get is just lesser than what you would have had otherwise and yeah it happens to everyone around the game but i just like it's just really frustrating because like um you're kind of planning for things which more than half the time i'd say just don't end up happening so you end up just taking like taking these painful substandard actions most of the game in my opinion and then it never feels like you actually want to do the things you're doing um yeah there's also an issue where like sitting to the right of people to the left of people because people leave things on there and they get built up in points there's a bunch of these things going around i think the game could be good with four people that are like super good players with like amazing meta and really experienced and stuff and i don't know uh to me it's just kind of just a frustrating game to be honest and the the also the issue of not getting to do what you want is to me kind of made worse by the game being kind of short so like a, a missed action to me in in uh, uh whatever it's called praga is like really painful compared to something where you take a lot of small turns you know what i mean because every action is like super significant and there's so many things attached to it and then when it feels like you're just like kind of off beat it just kind of really feels painful to me but anyway it's it's a fine game it's it's okay yeah i think we'll just have to agree to disagree on that one um because <laughs> um, every action is always available. Just sometimes you have to pay more for it, depending on where yeah, the tile yeah. is. So if there's something you really, really want to do, you can always do it. Um, you just no, have to be willing uh, to pay for it. 
also what i mean is like the market uh, buildings which really made me angry this time because uh i was setting up for like matches of things and the matches kind of didn't happen because the things disappeared which i mean maybe i should have just planned for them disappearing <laughs> which is just yeah. very unfortunate well, i mean because like that never, was literally never, the first turn of the game never right? never plan anything that could actually like work just plan to always fail that's almost that's almost seems like the theme of the game is like always plan to fail that's a little hyperbolic and depressing so come on. no, no i think it's they, honestly no. kind of how the game feels to me is like very rarely is it like holy crap this is exactly what i wanted to do it's almost like it's always kind of like well it's not exactly what i wanted to do but it's like the least fail of the options that are available to me and yes you can pay for extra actions but i mean are you really gonna pay like for the same action over and over you're probably gonna take something that's like the least resistance which is how you play euros in general like they all they all have this thing like oh you can pay for the same thing for like five coins or something no one's really gonna do it well, unless it the whole game hinges to it coins, yeah yeah but two coins is significant so anyway yeah anyway uh yeah i didn't have that experience at all so i i think we'll just agree to disagree but anyway yeah you, nobody has to like every game but it's a fine game it's it's fine there's nothing really other than the design being too in my opinion kind of fragile and dependent on meta plays and stuff that's a fine game yeah it's, it's it's well designed overall yeah i will say that this is not my favorite suki design um but i still like it a lot all right so the next day on wednesday june 2nd we played barrage and clask 4 um the this was my second time playing barrage um this is a Tommaso Battista and Simone uh, Luciani game. Uh, Carino Creations, I think, is the publisher. Um, this is also a worker placement game. Theme is you're building, it kind of looks like a steampunky type. Well, maybe not steampunk, but. Tesla's involved, so yeah, that's it, about it. That's Nikola all you need Tesla. to know. You're building these large electric dams and. Uh, Basically, I would describe this game as a knife fight <laughs> because uh, it's it's kind of all about being tactical about where you're putting your buildings, your dams on the board, because depending on where you build, uh, I think there's three types of things you can build. There's a conduit, and then there's uh, a power plant, and then there's uh, various levels of dams that you can build. And if you build a conduit down, somebody might be able to use that conduit. So you might, uh, someone might steal a spot you were looking for. There's also at every kind of water collection area on the board, there's two spots for dams, one that's above the lower dam that costs money to build there. Um, so maybe you build the lower dam because it's cheaper, but then someone builds a dam uh, above you and then kind of steals your water flow. And that's kind of how that whole board is meant to work is you just kind of try to capture water flow and avoid other people stealing it from you. And the way you do actions is is fairly simple worker placement. I think everybody starts the each round with something like 20 workers or 15 or something like that. And uh, certain spots cost 
one to I think three is probably the most workers a spot costs. Uh, probably one of the unique things about this game that I I find really cool is that um, you are collecting these mechs, which are kind of a resource. And doing certain actions, like building a dam or building an energy plant or building a conduit or, or whatever the action you're trying to do is, uh, they cost a certain number of these mechs. And there's two different colors, brown and, and gray. And the way you are using these mechs is you're not actually spending them most of the time, but you are plugging them into this wheel on your board along with the action tile corresponding to the action you're taking. And then to get those mechs back, usually you have to wait until that, uh, that uh, I think it's six space wheel rotates all the way around. And so you're tying up your resources. So there's also a uh, sort of a time is your resource aspect to this because you have to time things right and make sure you have the mechs when you're trying to get certain things done. Uh, you can buy more action tiles to do better versions of the same actions. This game has a really interesting effect on me of I it just kind of shuts my brain down at the beginning when I'm just kind of trying to figure out the early stages of what I want to do. And then as the game progresses over, is it five or six rounds? Mm, I want to say five, but maybe it's six. I don't know. Something like yeah. that. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But uh, yeah, as I get into the second half of the game, then my turns start to be a bit more snappy because I've I've kind of developed what I'm doing and what I want to do. Um, I think this game is really cool. I like it a lot. It's also pretty. Uh, there's a lot of negative player interaction. <laughs> yeah, uh, we had some funny moments in our in our recent game. I think in the last round of the game. We were playing with our friends Matt and Justine, uh, as Hersa mentioned, who used to be on uh, host on the show. And I think I took every single action that Justine wanted to do in the final round of the game. Uh, yeah, the funniest thing was, I guess I don't know if she didn't realize, but she was preparing to take them. Like Trevor would take an action, she would prepare to take the next one. Trevor would take that action, she would prepare the next one. Trevor would take that action. So she, yeah. she never, she never actually got to do what she wanted to do she just prepared for it and ended up doing something completely yeah, like, non, full, not different i i wish i could say i was that good at this game to like anticipate what somebody was doing and then just you know take it from them but i was just doing what i wanted to do and uh, i i it happened that i was taking spots that were very very important to justine so justine if you're listening i'm sorry <laughs> sorry sorry not sorry <laughs> yeah uh i like barrage a lot actually it can, like trevor saying it can be a very depressing game especially to new people who don't understand like how the system works um even to not new people because basically the table can just decide to screw you and uh that has happened to me before and you kind of feel like a passenger for the game because you don't really catch up really um if someone kind of builds a wall a dam above yours and you never get water you're kind of out of it basically um unless you have some kind of a backup variant which usually you don't if you invest a lot somewhere uh the game particularly our play was uh pretty good on that day 
but I feel like Matt had a really strange game where he kind of like threw the game. I don't know what the heck he was thinking. Um, what I was going to say is the unique thing about the game, I think actually the worker placement aspect of it is not interesting to me. Like the board is not terribly exciting. There's a weird market of only two contracts, which are sometimes a big deal actually because the rewards on them are engine they're not just points like other games they're actually engine um so you might do a contract which enables you to do another contract which enables you to do another contract that kind of thing just like kind of line them up well it's actually uh it's a market of six contracts right it's just uh, two of each kind two of each kind yeah which what that's what i mean by two is usually you can kind of do a certain level and you're looking at two because you can't touch the next level really um so yeah i think that's the worker placement aspect to, to me is not really interesting the wheel is a little bit interesting yeah you get your resources with a delay uh to me it actually would be kind of maybe more interesting if you couldn't cheese rotate the wheel there's a space where i guess you do like you go to the site and they're all just like slacking off and you're just like <laughs> you gotta do this man and they just like suddenly like complete three days worth of work in in an instance and they just like pop out um not very thematic but i guess it kind of works then fortunately that's also like i say a reward for some com from some contracts which can really kind of there's these combos that kind of develop which can be really strong and the game kind of hinges on them i think the really interesting part of the game is the board itself where there's water coming from the top and basically kind of how do you pump that water around which basically is the kind of main engine of the game is pumping that water around because that's how you score most of the game and that's how kind of the game works and uh to me that's the fascinating part is just kind of um, kind of people just making strategic decisions and that's where I think if you make a mistake at the beginning it can be kind of rough so the first like two rounds are very important in terms of how are you going to just kind of not be on the losing side of that fight of waterfall literally kind of like a waterfall of water around the board uh but very that's very unique i think no other game really does it i think this is a really cool solid game pretty solid design i like playing it um yep can be really rough when you are in a hopeless situation but sometimes it works out so barrage yeah then that's why the Usually in the beginning of the game, my brain just kind of locks down because your first couple of turns are just so important, um, and and it's a it's a fairly punishing game if you don't uh, do a good thing. You, there's not necessarily one thing that you must do, but you do have to do something that's good that's going to kind of ripple into better things. Yeah. Uh, everything kind of links together. I mean, like I say, Matt kind of through through the game i feel but the scores were something like 120 115 to like 40 so and i've seen uh that that happened before even people when people are not like doing weird stuff in the game just by decisions around the table so it can be really just kind of people can decide to just shut someone out and they get 40 points in a 100 point game so that's kind of how it is so yep yep that's Barrage. Really cool game. I, I don't have any information on this, but I thought I heard on a podcast or some content channel somewhere that there's another expansion coming for wow. this game. So uh, I don't know if that's true. I just have some recollection of it. 
so I feel like it's true, but I'm going to keep my eye out for that because I think yeah. uh, it's a good game. feels pretty complete to me. I'm almost kind of wondering what they can add to it. Hopefully it's not going to bloat it because it's already pretty, like, thinky. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm interested to see what happens. Uh, and then uh, really quickly, this was probably the highest played game at Trevcon. Uh, just <laughs> the class number four. of plays. Yes, class four. Uh, <laughs> it was, oh my gosh, this was probably the funniest game I've played since Bonk at SaltCon last time we were uh, at SaltCon. Uh, for anybody who doesn't know, Clask is a game from, where is it from actually? Uh, it's like Sweden, I want to say, or Denmark, actually. Denmark sounds better. Denmark sounds better. I'll find out, but yeah, I yeah, want to so- say Denmark. So the original Clask is a two-player game. Um, it is Denmark, yep. Yeah, so it's a two-player game where you've got you're holding like a stick magnet under a wooden board, and you have this other piece on top of the board that is moves along with your magnet. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to hit uh, this ball into your other your opponent's uh, score, which is just like a, this depressed circle goal. I guess goal. Yeah. yeah. So you're trying to score goals on your opponent by hitting this plastic ball into this little cutout circle that is um, on their end of the board. And there's these little white magnets on the board that are called biscuits. I think. Yeah. Um, and That's you, the official term, actually. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, if you get two biscuits on your pawn, then you lose a point, and I think you just have like five points and, until you lose. Um, Clask four is a giant circular board that has that is four player, and so it's just utter chaos. <laughs> so uh, we played this game probably ten to fifteen times over the course of of Trevcon and I I just think it's so much fun. Not not much else than what I explained to it, but it's it's just it, it makes for a lot of really funny moments and uh, a lot of laughs. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, that's a game which is just kind of fun. It has kind of like an air hockey type vibe. Uh, that's what it most closely reminds me of. Basically, you try to score goals on your opponent. Um, it is very unique, though, and I think it's interesting. Yeah, the biscuits make it interesting. The kind of just the speed of it and the weirdness with the magnets makes it interesting. So, so it's just kind of just really good fun. Um, yeah, the four-player game, game in particular, the two-player game is a little bit more like uh, strategic maybe in a way four-player game is complete chaos and it's even funnier because uh, these just like weird things happen like for example we kept passing the goal behind someone's goal uh, without them kind of like doing anything several times Uh, you can score like a really quick goal at the beginning which is always funny because it's just like a flick into someone's (laughs) goal they're just like (laughs) and it's so funny because you can see him like trying to block it, but they can't yeah. move fast enough or they they anticipate it and move too fast and then you just do like a slow tap and then get it into their goal it's just anyway. so much fun so yeah, much anyway, it's just like, yeah, it's just kind of loud and fun. And uh, it's not uh, like uh, some games can be very strategic with dexterity games with lots of like aiming and stuff. This one is just kind of like based on speed and reaction time. And it's just always just like funny. It just draws out uh, 
people laughing usually at the end so yeah um love it classic four i think more uh, casual and more fun than classic original classic original is more like i think um yeah more a little bit more strategic still based on like fast reactions but more strategy yeah uh so then on thursday um we moved trevcon over to brandon's house uh for brandon's normal thursday game nights and we played uh just one new york zoo mercado de lisboa q birds and where words so a lot of games kind of a lighter games night but uh what did you think of uh, New York Zoo? This was your first play of it, right? Uh, my first play, and I totally cheated, which was awesome, and I won the game by cheating, and yeah, I'm, I'm proud of it. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, no, I totally forgot. Um, I, in my head, engine-building games are you build an engine, but and I haven't played, unfortunately, a lot of Uwe games where animals multiply. Uh, and that is Uwe, right? I think that's that's yeah, Uwe game. That's kind of yeah, his yeah. Thing. Uwe Uwe Rosen, Rosenberg. Uh, yeah, that's kind of kind of his thing. But apparently, I just didn't remember it. So, like, uh, two animals make a third animal, their baby or whatever. However, five animals don't make two animals, and six animals don't make three animals. They just still make one, and that's how I was cheating, because in my mind, it's like, every pair has a baby, but no, no, they don't. Uh, it's <laughs> it's, it's uh, controlled engine building, I guess. Not yeah, controlled every, explosions. Every enclosure has a baby. <laughs> so basically, no matter how many animals are in the same pen, they all have one baby together. It takes a village, I guess. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, no, it's a cool game. I like those polyomino games. It had really interesting decisions of the size of pieces because usually polyomino games are all about kind of fitting pieces together. But this game has small and large pieces. And you might, uh, and it's all about just finishing your board first. So you might think, well, the the large pieces are clearly preferable, and that's kind of what I thought. But then you realize that because of the animal mechanic, you can't fill them up as fast. And when you fill them up, you get benefits. So it's almost like uh, either piece piece really is good. It's just all about just kind of timing and fitting everything together. Uh, but I think that's the interesting part of it is, yeah, it doesn't lean into particularly like large pieces are good or small pieces are good because when the enclosure fills is with animals by them multiplying or whatever is when you can uh, basically get these extra other pieces and they don't take a turn. So it's just kind of engine building with spamming animals so they can make extra pieces for you. Uh, but yeah, uh, I like polyomino games. I'm not sure if it's particularly a standout for me in particular. I didn't like completely fall in love with it or anything. Um, I would like to play it again um, to kind of determine things. But it's it's fun. Yeah, it's it's okay. It's that's how I I feel about it. Yeah, the interesting thing about uh, this one, I think that the trap is so when you when you complete completely fill. Um, uh, uh, an, enclosure an enclosure on your on your board. You get to send all of the animals except for one back to the supply, and you get what's called an attraction tile. And those at the beginning of the game, there's some large ones, but then those attraction tiles become really important later in the game because they are smaller angles, or maybe a single piece, or something like that, and it's from the, I've played the game three or four times now, and it seems that the inclination of of your average player is, 
oh, I should get a tile and I should fill it as fast as possible so I can get uh, so I can get the attraction that I want. But that's actually a trap, I think, because if you fill the largest tile, you're sending away your economy, basically. Um, because if, like Risto was saying, it, you know, you only, when your animals breed, they're only producing one, no matter how many you have in the same enclosure. So I think sending away six animals and keeping one is kind of a bad trade when you could actually... Uh, there's a cool mechanic in the game where like you can only expand and put more tiles into your into your grid by moving animals from elsewhere in your zoo onto that new tile. And so I view these larger tiles as kind of breeding pits <laughs> that fund your new tiles. And then you kind of should only start to cash out and get the attractions when you've got maybe a medium or a smaller tile so that you can more quickly replenish them. At least that was that's kind of my impression of the game is that if you if you get attractions by using the larger tiles, you're kind of killing your economy, and then it takes it takes too long to rebuild it before you know, other players are going to get ahead and win. I think, but anyway, yeah. I, I think it's a cool game. Yeah, yeah, I was actually going to say I liked. I need to play basically all of his games, the earlier ones. I like Patchwork a lot. That's always a favorite. Um, Cottage Garden, Indian Summer, and Spring Meadow is what I'm talking about. Is I think I might like them more than this one, but I need to play those more as well. Um, like I say, I wasn't super blown away by New York Zoo. It's it's fine. It's it's okay. Yeah, it doesn't. I don't think it does anything groundbreaking, but it's a solid kind of lightweight game i think yeah that's cool if you're looking to play a yep a animal with cute or zoo with or bleh, a board game with cute zoo animals yeah um so yeah i don't know if you wanted to talk about anything else from the thursday games uh not really i mean where words is kind of a word game party game i don't think anyone really cared about who's really winning it was more just about guessing the words and it's always kind of like that with it uh cubers we actually got to play it uh did we talk about it last week i can't actually yeah. remember yeah yeah, yeah i was looking forward to it and forward to it and uh it's, it's a fun game very lucky but it's it's just fun overall uh mercado de lisboa yeah we've also talked about that one before we had like a weird king makey play on thursday that's, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, Trevor's uh, sour about it forever. Basically, uh, yeah, yep. <laughs> we, yeah, we will never, think... we'll never name that game ever no, again. No, I think it's a good game. I like to play it, but uh, yeah, some some stuff happened. <laughs> some something making happened. Yeah. Uh, okay. So maybe moving unintentional. On. I think. Uh, no. Yeah. The, I obviously, be clear. both both of us have played the game a lot before. Uh, not a lot, but like we're very familiar with like what's going on. And someone was playing who was like throwing random random ish moves into the game, and <laughs> it benefited me greatly. Uh, oh. Not not intentionally by him, but I was just like, okay, <laughs> nice. Very I nice. did that. I did the math. <laughs> That one, that one. It was turn, like eight points, I think. Basically, eight that, points benefit or something. That one turn cost me sixteen coins. Yep. So. Yep. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. <laughs> it, I was, like it. it was. It was. No, I hate it. <laughs> no. Uh, so moving on to Friday, we um, uh, we played Azul, stained glass of Sintra, and then we played our first game of Oath, Chronicles of Empire and Exile, and then wrapped up with a game of Letter Jam. 
uh, really quickly on Azul. I think we've talked about Azul before on the on the episode, on the podcast, uh, but this is my favorite version of of Azul to date. The stained glass of Sintra. I just I like the mechanics. I like the restrictiveness that the typewriter glazier guy gives to the board. So basically, whenever you're placing pulling these uh the pieces and putting them in in front of you you have to move this little guy along the top of your board to the right and you can never place left of that that little person and so on your turn instead of if you are on the furthest right or you don't have anything you can really play you have to actually take a turn to move it back and then you can start then pulling tiles again to uh to play which also actually gives you kind of options towards the end of each round where there may be too many pieces and if you take more pieces than you can fit you have to break glass which turns into negative points at the end of the game uh it's just i this has been my favorite version of a soul so far i don't know uh if you have the same preference yeah it's mine as well i think the biggest thing for me is being able to look around the table and actually predict some stuff i feel like with the other versions of azul it's definitely kind of more chaotic and anyone can kind of take anything at any time it feels like yeah you can kind of see some people's preferences maybe a little bit but uh you can't really like tell as clearly who's gonna do what and i actually really kind of like that aspect of it of being able to see what people want and are going to do or what actually people can't do in this uh version of azul and yeah it just kind of feels uh, feels good there's also like an element of uh, the usual kind of points engine building which is interesting two different variants to build points so yeah yeah i i like it i also think it's my favorite version of azul so yep it's good yeah, so then we um, we played a four-player game of Oath. This is the new game from Cole Worley and Leader Games. And it's a big game with a lot of pieces moving, but if I had to boil it down to just, at its core, you could say it's an area control game. But the the twists on it, I mean, and there's, there's many twists, but the twist on it is what you're trying to do with that area control. Um, because depending on what you control, you can uh, you have access to certain actions, which may be good in one game and not so good in another game. Because one of the the unique things, right, I mean, it's not unique to gaming, but there are variable win conditions in every game. So there will always be the oath, uh, which changes from game to game actually there's four different oaths so depending on which game you're playing you're trying to accomplish one thing in our first game the oath was to control the most sites which are the large cards on which you place uh, your wooden pieces on the board and so you go through the game exploring new sites getting these denizen cards um, either by your player board as what they are called advisors so it's like basically personal benefits and maybe a little bit of engine type stuff or personal action spots or you put them out on the main board where they become denizens which means uh, they could be available to anybody who has their main uh, it's called a pawn your main uh, unit on that site they would then have access to those actions or some of them require that you control it which is you have uh, your little smaller wooden pieces called warbands on the board and Basically, you just try to find the best way possible to accomplish 
uh, a winning condition. So I mentioned you could you could do the the traditional one for the for the scenario or not the scenario the that particular game which is going to be the oath or if you're not the chancellor who is kind of the existing ruler for that particular game uh, you might be in exile and the exiles can draw these cards called visions from the various decks of the game and uh if anybody's played root before the closest comparison i would say is it's kind of like a dominance card where it just kind of changes your win condition for that game um or there's a also a possibility that you could become a citizen which is basically the chancellor the existing ruler uh, allows you to be kind of on that player's team, but kind of not because the only way you can win if you're a citizen is by satisfying a basically a successor uh, win condition, which is you just steal the win from the chancer player. Uh, it's a it's a political game with some area control, um, some engine building aspects. It also has a closed economy, so the the resources you use are infrequently coming in and out of the game but you're using them um i don't know if i want to get too deep into how it all works because there's just a lot to explain um my first impressions from the game are positive i like the system but i think that it definitely is a game that requires repeated play for with the with the same players or players who understand the game because you kind of do need to develop a sort of meta uh for the game because some cards can do pretty crazy actually a lot of cards can do pretty crazy things so you kind of have to be aware of that and um maybe develop an awareness for how you counter uh certain strategies or certain cards uh, i know it's a kind of a lot of vague stuff but it's a big game to talk about in 60 seconds so uh what were your initial impressions with the game Risto? uh yeah uh my initial impressions are basically that it's cold whirly game um it actually felt even more unhinged than his other designs and maybe even more fragile than his other designs in some ways uh it reminded me of what is that uh, zombie game in the uh, where one person is the mansion. Gosh, I forgot what the name of it is. Uh, vast? Vast, yeah. The Vast um, system a little bit, kind of like mixed with Root. Basically, like, yeah, kind of a lot of uh, vibes from his designs. Uh, I think the game is very dependent on people doing the, quote, correct actions in certain situations. And uh, the thing things can get pretty crazy. It feels like every card is unhinged. Like, not so many cards in Root were unhinged. There were some unhinged cards there as well. But uh, this one is, is kind of crazy. Um, yeah, the, the I, I like the kind of closed economy of it. That's a really interesting concept. Basically, what it is is you can control sites and exploit them. I'm not obviously going to go into details, but basically do cool stuff. And people can kind of just, like, change what the sites do. And you can't do that cool stuff anymore. Um, so there's... And they, they actually take the, like, actions and start exploiting... Attach them to other sites and start exploiting them there. So basically, a lot of things in the game can shift unlike root where or vast i think that's a new thing where you kind of start the same i think actually you start exactly the same the asymmetry de develops by basically the actions you attach to yourself and the actions you attach to the sites that are 
aligned with you. So that's how I think everyone kind of becomes asymmetric and can start doing some really crazy messed up stuff. Um, I'm, I don't know. We'll, we'll see how kind of the game develops. I'm not super huge on basically there's some cards which make you kind of win in certain specific situations. And they seem like... I don't know if they're going to be really stoppable um, in some situations. So, like I say, just kind of very fragile, very uh, dependent on what people do. Um, maybe, yeah, maybe I'm interested in how the game develops. We'll see. So I um, will say this, um, to just while you're talking on that point, um, I've watched a, a, a sort of a Leader Games does maybe a monthly or weekly designer chat where uh, Patrick Leader and Cole Worley just kind of get on and talk about things. And on this latest one, Cole Worley was talking about a couple of questions that uh, people had submitted to him about Oath. And he was, there, one person had submitted a, a question about a certain card and... Um, the the question was basically like don't you know that this is overpowered like this in our specific game this card just destroyed everybody in that player one and cole's response was uh yes but that's a design trick because now you're all aware of that card and now you know that that card could be in future games so you're going to change the way you play because you know that card exists and so the the saying that has been uh, repeated over and over throughout the Kickstarter campaign for Oath and as it's been coming out is that the game remembers itself. And I think that means more than just the game remembers how it ended and then it sets up using components it used last time and then you add more. I think the game remembers itself also in that your game the, the campaign you're playing with your group of friends, you're going to develop a player group meta and you're going to uh, start to appreciate what can happen and how to deal with it. And like you said, sometimes there'll be situations that you just can't deal with. And that's probably a good thing because if you could perfectly anticipate and deal with everything, maybe the game would be a little boring. I don't know. Um, but my, my first impression after playing the game is that uh it felt like a game where people didn't really fully uh, appreciate everything that was going on. We we're just kind of poking around and doing things. And I'm, I'm interested to see where it goes actually. Yeah, definitely fumble for the first game, just kind of everyone learning the system obviously and what's possible in the game. But yeah, um, we'll see, I guess. I'm kind of just kind of curious about it. Uh, I was going to say it's in some kind of uncertain way. It reminds me of Pax Premier for some reason. Like it, there's nothing really common with the mechanics whatsoever, other than they're both like vague area control concepts. But uh, for some reason, like just the vibe of it is is similar to me. I don't know why. Maybe it's because you build out the card tableau like in front of you and attach to sites. Maybe it's um, just yeah, just kind of the feel of the game or something. But it feels very similar to me with uh, Pax Premier and that, that kind of system. It does have it does have the Cole Worley feel. If you've played Cole Worley games before, you're gonna kind of and and leader games as well had a large hand in it obviously um it, it's going to feel like that type of game so I, I i think i'd agree with with the feel comment 
Yeah, but um, it's an interesting game. Definitely kind of a lot to be explored. Um, some of the, obviously, like Trevor saying, uh, either play with the same group or suffer like a 30 minute explanation and someone completely fumbling with the game every time you try to play it. Definitely a more serious game. Same thing as Root. Like, uh, if you're going to play a game with uh, new people, I think that's all of his games, basically. And it's their first game. You can rely on that game to be like broken in some really unfortunate way ways um like i say his games unfortunately depend on people playing kind of correctly given the situation so i don't know yeah we'll see yeah and that's they don't they're not hiding that at all at at leader games they they're not really making games that should apply to the masses for you know their games have become really popular but they they're not pretending to design games that are like you know your medium weight euro or your medium weight game that applies to a ton of people they're making very specific and kind of unique games so yep um yeah but looking forward to that to to playing that more to your point i don't think that you need to play with the same group every time but i think it as you play more it's probably important to play with people who understand the game even if it's not the same group yeah, that's what I really meant to say is people who have played the game before because uh, understanding like the system is very important. Uh, like with Pax Pamir and like all these other games. Uh, yep. Because, yeah, you need to like know what the implications of what you're doing are because you're affecting a lot of things with like just the way the game develops by choices. Yep. All right. So then uh, that takes us into Saturday of TrevCon, June 5th. Uh, this was the kind of most of the day gaming event uh we played lots of clask <laughs> i think we we used clask as kind of like the palette cleanser uh between every game and just played uh played a bunch of class to get uh spirits high and having fun uh we started out playing kanban ev by uh, vital lacerda we played dune imperium again uh, we also played Cryo again, and then we wrapped up the day with a, a game of Pulsar 2849. Uh, starting with Kanban, now, Riso, you and I have, you've only played EV with, with me, right? And we've only, just those two player games. I think so, yeah. I played once a long time ago, and I didn't remember anything from Kanban, really. Yeah, so this is um, Vital Lacerda, published by Eagle Griffin Games. This is one of, I think, Vital Lacerda's earlier games. Uh, Kanban EV is just a re-theming and uh, republishing under a different uh, publisher. Um, But basically, at its core, it's kind of worker placement slash action selection. I don't know that I would call it worker placement. It's more you're choosing which action you're going to be doing that round. and then you do it. Uh, so the the theme is you're building your op, your workers, uh, kind of learning how to operate a an electrical electric vehicle plant production plant. And uh, each round, you'll just select which department you're going to work in. So you might work in uh, R and D, where you're going to test designs and and uh, upgrade car parts, things like that. Or you'll work in production, where you're going to bring parts into the assembly line and make cars that will send them out onto this test track. Or you'll work in the warehouse, where you get shipments of parts in and and things like that and then you might work at like the design desk where you're actually picking up designs for cars that later you want to either upgrade or or create 
um, or you might work in the administration department, which just allows you to work in any of the departments. And kind of the flow of the game is you you want to get designs of cars to um, make the cars you want to build later. And also you want to get designs to make the cars you want to build later better. So you want to upgrade the types of cars you want to make. And then uh, it has kind of this interesting scoring mechanic in the game where you, when uh, Sandra, who is basically this uh, computer player, she goes through all the apartments. And when she gets back to administration, she does a, she does a, a weekly scoring where she kind of, where you just uh, basically score points based on how cool your cars are. And if certain things have happened, you also do a meeting where you go in with these little speech tokens and uh, give presentations on different scoring cards. And uh, depending on how your game's going, you might score well with some cards and not so well with other cards. And so it kind of becomes this uh, game of you try to just score well in meetings and score well at the end of the week and then the game's over. I, I think it's a really cool game. I think it's probably, you know, be, because it's one of his earlier games, it's a little more fiddly, maybe a little more little more clunk than his newer, kind of more polished designs. But that being said, I, I like it a lot. The theme's cool, and I think the game works pretty well. What, what were your impressions? Uh, yeah, like you say, I think the game has some really weird, like, um, I want to say almost like a prisoner's dilemma thing going on because yeah, like the system works fine. Um, but it almost feels like the first person to make cars basically loses or something in a really strange way, uh, because cars are kind of, uh, the main scoring of the game, I think, and someone has to make them, which means they usually don't really get first pick or they do with like a reduced action efficiency, basically is how, how it usually happens. Um, yeah, it's kind of really depressing game for me actually, because I feel like I haven't really got the game really ever or had a good game of it. Um, there's also some like group thing issues with the game because like I say, the production of the points comes from players. So I think by just decisions, you can end up with a game that's overall higher scoring or overall lesser scoring because maybe people just choose to produce more cars or fewer cars in the game. So different groups maybe think of that in a different way. Uh, but yeah, like, I don't know. Um, I just uh, I feel like I still haven't had like a good game of it. Um, I end up doing weird things that don't really register in the scoreboard effectively at the end of the game. So that was one of those games. But I think uh, it has potential. I'm I'm kind of still curious to kind of explore uh, kind of where where the game goes. I feel like I don't know. Like I just want to try different things in the game, which is kind of interesting. Um, having to do mostly with cars, I think that's the most interesting uh, th- part of the game is kind of the ebb and flow of producing uh, cars and getting cars and should you produce, should you not produce. Maybe you should be really careful, obviously, you should really pay attention. But it's kind of weird because the rest of the game is just kind of more straightforward-ish and that's 
thing with the cars and getting cars is really just weird and i think that's where a lot of the clunk is coming from but yeah overall kind of an interesting game we haven't really tried the modules with the ev expansion i think they're kind of minor i think the game is basically still the same concept and it's gonna be kind of the same i'm slightly curious what they are maybe we should read them and just kind of do them because we always just kind of ignore those cards when they come up but i don't think it's huge i don't think it changes the game substantially yeah it adds it adds an extension to your player board um for it's the supercharger expansion and there's some of the cards score based on supercharger items and so so just yeah, like I, another feature of the cars to worry about or something maybe uh something like i haven't read the rules up. for it it just came with the kickstarter and i haven't wanted to play it because i wanted to play the core game several times before doing that but uh, you know to your point i think we should probably just do it one of these yeah. days. yeah i bet it's not that much more like i feel like we understand the game decently but yeah anyway yeah the game has potential for me i'm kind of curious uh but definitely like a, a little bit of a weirder game than his later designs overall obviously yeah um, so we we've talked about doing Imperium a lot on the on the podcast, and and we just talked about Cryo earlier. Um, so unless you have anything to say about those, maybe we jump over to uh, just a quick old, couple highlights on uh, Pulsar twenty forty nine. Low lights on Dune Imperium. <laughs> Low lights. No, actually, I don't know. Um, I liked Dune Imperium at first, but the more I play it, the more I feel like. Uh, basically the characters are kind of maybe shouldn't be played in certain combinations the card market is increasingly getting on my nerves because i feel like some cards are really really better than other cards and if someone gets like a combo of like two or three cards in the first two rounds i feel like they almost like have the game almost guaranteed because it just kind of explodes from there but i don't know um yeah kind of kind of weird yeah i i don't know if or where I read this, but I swear I saw something at some point that like discouraged certain like mixtures yeah, actually, of character actually, cards. I actually feel like maybe uh, certain houses, like the not two people of the same house, shouldn't be played with each other. I think yeah, that's, that's the that's biggest actually, thing. Like maybe that's actually what I was thinking of. Maybe a tradie should never be played with another tradie, like uh, Luke and uh, Duke Leto or something or whatever. Because uh, yeah. I think they like step on each other or something. I also feel like some of the characters are just like clearly better, but I don't know. I don't want to really believe that. I think the game is chaotic enough to where it shouldn't matter every game, but it does seem like some characters are better. So I don't know. That, yeah, that's exactly. I have a recollection of reading something that said to not mix the houses. But I don't remember. Where uh, it's def I read it's that. definitely not in the rulebook. Maybe it's like just on the forums or something. Uh, that's on BGG or something. That's my guess. Uh, but yeah, it, the rulebook doesn't say anything. The rulebook is like either do them randomly or have people select or however you want. Uh, but I don't know. Yeah, it's it's whatever. It's it almost also feels kind of like clank in that way, where very opportunistic game, and um, sometimes you get really good stuff. Sometimes you just really don't get good stuff at all. That's so. that's the funny thing is it shares a lot of DNA with Clank, um, but it's a much heavier game than Clank. Um, eh. Well, I don't know. heavier in terms of what I mean by heavier is it's it's a more serious game than Clank. Um, the Dune is not by it, you know, in and of itself. I don't think it's a heavy game, but in in comparison to Clank, there's kind of more important decisions that have 
rippling effects and clank is kind of just push your luck um but yeah that's that's doing imperium i still think it's a cool game but i i think i agree with you that the more i play it the more i kind of want some expansion stuff to come out to save it from getting stale um and and i think there's some things that need to be addressed but we've talked about those kind of uh a lot on previous podcasts so uh moving on we played Pulsar 2849. Uh, I mentioned earlier that uh, Praga Kaput Regni was not my f- is is a great game, but not my favorite Suki game, Vladimir Suki game. I think Pulsar might be my favorite uh, Vladimir Suki game. Such a such a good game. Uh, published by Czech Games. This is um, space exploration and dice drafting. Really, it's it's mostly a dice drafting game, but just blown out to uh, galactic proportions. Uh, what do you what do you think about Pulsar and and kind of how does it work? Yeah, I don't know. For some reason, one of my favorite games in general. Um, yeah, um, uh, it's, people say it's similar to Castles of Burgundy. I only played it like two times. I think Castles of Burgundy, uh, Castles of Burgundy, to me is like way more boring for some reason. Um, I don't know if it's the tech tree. I don't know what the heck but like pulsar is not like castles of burgundy in my opinion like at all uh yeah i think it's a really uh, cool game because i don't know how to describe it but uh, uh the dice draft first of all is like really genius to me because in a lot of games it's kind of like roll dice and draft them and yay and obviously you depend on dice values and usually there's things like increase your die by one decrease your die by one this game actually uh depending on the the value of the die you choose you get like a bonus or a penalty and uh meaning high dice are considered to be more valuable which is generally true but not always so you can be kind of opportunistic and take low dice and use them in really good ways still um but basically yeah just a really cool game where you draft dice and do stuff with them and it seems like the stuff you do is limited at first glance but um you can usually kind of figure out something cool to do with both of your dice that you're drafting per rounds and uh, the game kind of builds up into these really weird combo turns where you feel like you're like doing really cool stuff and your things just are just lining up well hopefully they're lining up i don't know for some reason like i don't know if it's just me maybe i've been just really lucky in my games if there's an issue with someone else but usually I get what I want out of the dice draft. Sometimes I haven't got what I want, which was really painful, usually in the last round, because like, it's kind of like do it now or, or bust. Um, but usually you can like find the dice you want, and maybe you have to adjust them by plus minus one or plus two or whatever. The to- there are tokens which adjust dice. But usually you can kind of figure out something cool to do um, in the game, which like really progresses your game kind of equally. So what I'm saying is like, to me, I've never really felt like there was an issue where this die is like completely useless or I'm taking a lesser action or something. Um, usually it's kind of like I'm not taking the action I want, but it's no big deal if I do it next round or something or in two rounds, I'll just do something else, which is equally as cool. Uh, there's really cool kind of scoring opportunities. There's end game goals, which definitely feel achievable by multiple people. Uh, so you can kind of plan your game. Usually that's a good idea to score the end game goals because they're major points. 
Uh, overall, just like really, really cool system. It basically mixes a lot of the things which I like, which is like really good thoughts about how to balance dice die rolls and uh, give you a lot of options for them. Uh, exploration, which is just uh, just kind of reveal stuff and yeah sometimes it feels like it's uh, you're getting like what you want versus not what you want like less but even then there's an option like if you really hate what's revealed you can just take points for it which is still a pretty decent option if you really like i say hate it um but yeah space exploration space theme uh there's a tech tree which is a huge component of it as well which i also really like um our particular game actually kind of interesting usually the tech tree is very desirable and you go on it all the time our particular game that time did not have a tech goal um instead it had this like hq goal which is your kind of personal action boards which is kind of rarely used actually in most games but because there was a goal for it um people were actually using it or at least i was using it i don't know i think i only used mine once <laughs> <laughs> okay never mind uh well i was using it and it actually worked out usually it's kind of like uh it that, that does have very weird actions on it and you kind of like usually ignore it but in that game it was a pretty cool um option so like just playing the text uh but yeah just yeah every game feels like it's kind of the same but it kind of isn't just you're doing different things um this game was very low like uh, on transmitters there's basically several things you can do to score points and depending on the end game goals like you kind of play more of them um so very interesting anyway uh very flexible very replayable there's a lot of combinations of tech trees that you can use that really kind of change how the game feels in conjunction with the end game goals so every game kind of feels like has like a very unique kind of flavor obviously you're doing the same actions but uh, what you're kind of pushing more is very different so overall just like very clever game very uh, well designed doesn't feel like overwhelming to teach as well uh, there's pretty decent depth. It's, it's not super deep, though. It's, I'd say it's like medium, medium plus-ish. But yeah, one of the coolest games, I think, that he's designed or in, in general, kind of dice drafting game, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I like dice drafting games a lot. So when there's a game with dice drafting in it, I'm, I'm inclined to enjoy it more. Um, I guess I'm predisposed is the right word to say. Um, but yeah, just such a cool game. I think this is my favorite Suki game and like you, one of my favorite games overall. Um, I actually made a mistake in that last play. I, I had misread one of the end game scorings. I thought it was scoring the tech tree, but it was scoring the XQ board, um, which I, I didn't bother to ask that question until the end of the game. I was like, oh, this scores the tech board, right? <laughs> and you guys are like, nope, that's not what that scores. Uh, but still, overall, a pretty close game. I think I'd only played this with you two players before, and usually we were a fair amount apart just because of how the game went. And fair amount, I mean, probably like between 20 and 50 points apart by the end of the game but in this game i've also we were... played it before like more uh, yeah. so that's the thing is i've kind of seen how it goes because when it came out i actually played it around a bunch of meetups and it was really cool actually i've played like five or six times around random meetups before anyway yeah so but this game uh this was actually the first time i'd played four player and just still loved it four player was even more fun in my opinion uh, just having more happening around the board and we all ended up within 20 points of each other so it's just an all-around really really fun experience really liked that game quite a bit 
Yeah, and actually to the design's credits, uh, not always is it like that, but in our particular play, like someone was doing something radically different from what I was doing and their score was pretty close to mine. So like uh, everything is fairly decently balanced, I would say. Um, I think the difference was basically kind of the end game goals uh, mostly yeah. because and I was playing the end game goals and they kind of weren't playing two of them. They're only playing one. So anyway, yeah, stuff like that. But the design yeah. is like really good. I think, and everything is kind of viable, especially if it's an endgame goal. Yep, yep, I agree. So that's Pulsar 2049, uh, which takes us into the final day of TrevCon, Sunday, June 6th. Uh, sort of a shorter-ish day, we played Monster Expedition, uh, which is a new game in the, I think, Carnival of Monsters universe. This was uh, designed by Alexander Pfister, though, which is why I picked it up. Um, and then we played Embarcadero, and then we played Rush MD and Ilimat. Is that how you how you pronounce that one? Ilimat? Yeah, yeah, Il- Ilimat. Yeah, yep. Uh, so really quickly, Monster Expedition is really just a it's a push your luck game. Uh, so the way you play is you've got these three square cards in front of you that represent camps. And your goal, and each of those camps shows you how many dice you can roll if you decide to start a hunt from one of those camps. And what are you hunting? You're hunting monsters. There's a display of 10 cards, and there's monsters that correspond to the colors of your camps. So if you go hunting from your green camp, you will be able to hunt monsters that could be found in the green area. So there'll be green cards. And basically what you do is you roll all of the dice that are available to you from your camp, Plus any special abilities you have, because when you uh, hunt monsters and capture them, you get certain abilities. And you roll all your dice, and then you bank a dice, one of the dice, on the central board. And then you keep rolling, and each time you roll, you must bank one die. And if you ever roll all of the same numbers that are already banked. So if you, let's say you had a one, two, three, four, five. The on way the board. to say it, I think is if you have to bank a number that's already banked on your board. Yes. Yeah. So if you, if you roll dice and the only numbers you roll are dice that you have already banked on the board, then you must, uh, it's a misfire or miss, miss yeah. shot or something. It's like a misthrow or something like that. And you have misthrow, to yeah. return from the bank dice. You have to take your highest one and return that to the supply, meaning you're not going to roll it again. Um, so that's the push your luck aspect is you can get higher hunt value if you keep rolling, but you also have the opportunity to ruin your rolls. Um, and basically the game just plays until the deck of monsters runs out. And then you see who has the most points. Um, I liked it more than I thought I would. I basically got it because I'm always curious in Alexander Pfister designs, and this was a game that's really outside of the types of games I would normally buy, but it was like 15 bucks or something, so it's not a huge game. Um, I had fun playing it. It's not like, you know, it's not an amazing game or anything, but I, I was pleasantly surprised that I actually enjoyed playing it. I don't know if you had any thoughts. Yeah, it's just a dice kind of chucking game. I feel like it belongs in like a bar or something setting or something like that. Like it's yeah. sort of like the end of the night kind of a thing. Yeah, it's uh, it, to give it to Alexander Pfister, the uh, Mistro mechanic is very unique. Um, so yeah, that's that's very interesting. Um, also, obviously, I like the um, 
aspect of the game where if you roll high dice you are getting monsters but if you roll low dice you can keep them for kind of like an engine and the promise of a, lo- a higher later roll obviously at that like there's an engine aspect to the game but like are you kidding me it's still a push your luck game you can have a terrible (laughs) rolls and just die and whatever there's a little bit of take that as well which is like yay Um, but only just a little bit it's not yeah actually i I don't know i think it can definitely kind of decide games because you're basically taking one or two points and like the scores are like what 25 30 ish or something so i think you can definitely kind of target people but i mean it's it's the game it's just kind of what it is it's it's designed to be basically if someone gets more lucky which is definitely going to happen to kind of like take points away from them or something so hopefully everyone is kind of aware of what's going on but yeah it's just uh it's just a silly like dice chucking game i guess so yeah that's (laughs) yeah not much to it uh, yeah though what i should say is i actually like it more than the card drafting game because the card drafting game kind of has a lot of very similar concepts it's definitely not the same game game whatsoever you're drafting cards uh what i'm talking about about is um, the builder no monster gosh what's monster something carnival of monsters carnival of monsters yeah uh but with that one i feel like there was uh, the push your luck element of that is not rolling like dice and hoping for right numbers it's like saving cards hoping that other cards come that want to be like lands uh and hoping to get monsters that live on those lands and uh option number one you can hope that the card comes back to you around the table which usually it doesn't or you can hope that it exists <laughs> in the cards that are <laughs> yeah. coming and uh sometimes it doesn't and like a lot of point swing hinges on that so sometimes it feels like you've like wasted your drafts hoping for something that never came uh so it's just like really painful um the theme of both games is really cool but um i think this is kind of the better game as far as having fun the other one just felt like a bunch of frustration and like failed drafts and someone just kind of winning but yeah uh anyway yep yeah so that's uh monster expedition uh we'll just quickly i think mention embarcadero because we've just played it once and this will be kind of just first impressions i think we need to play it more to really talk about it more but uh it's not a super complicated game this is uh designed by adam buckingham and ed marriott's the published by renegade games studios at least in the u.s um basically what this game is thematically you're building the embarcadero district in san francisco i believe and it's the theme is there's you're recommissioning or repurposing old ships to be business locations in the in the harbor and so uh you there's three rounds of the game you start each round with five cards and on your turn you can either build a ship which is a type of card, or you can build a building, which is the other type of card. There's only two types of cards. Um, or you can scrap uh, scrap a card to get whatever the scrap action is from the card that you're discarding. And then, uh, so that's the action phase. And then you do a buy phase where you purchase a card from a market and then you lay a card down on your player board and you'll do that five times. So you have five turns each round. And the interesting thing there is when you're putting a card down on your player board in front of you, that's determining your hand for the next round. So you can kind of plan 
out which actions you want to do the next round. And then at the end of the third round, any cards that you've placed down in front of you are just going to score points um, at the end of the game. There's also this uh, council track that you go up that gets you uh, benefits and things like that. And uh, at the end of the first round, you'll score based on positioning around, I think, four wharfs that are in, on the, in the bay. Uh, second round, you'll score based on positioning on this council track. And then at the third round, you'll score both the wharfs and the council track. And then each round also, I forgot to mention, has a, a variable scoring card, meaning each game you play, there's going to be a different card in, in different spots. So it get, kind of gives you maybe different things to try to do during each round to score points. Uh, the kind of unique thing about this game, I guess, is the visual component of as you're building, uh, as you're bringing ships into the harbor, you're putting uh, this tile down on the board and then you're placing uh 3d plastic buildings on top of those uh the boats that look like buildings and then you can build buildings on top of those buildings and you can get up to four high four stacks high of buildings so the the game kind of <laughs> uh builds upward and there's a, a real 3d component to it which i i thought was cool um i liked the game i think we uh inadvertently broke a couple of rules when we we're playing and uh you know, for the first play of the game was just kind of weird, but uh, I think the system's cool, and I'm actually I'm excited to play this one more. I, I liked it. What did you What did you think? Uh, you don't know. You don't want to know what I think. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> kind of. Um, I don't know. Actually, I was kind of really excited about the game when I was reading the rules because it sounded really good on paper. Uh, just kidding. I didn't read the rules when you were explaining the rules uh, because it sounded really good. Like just in general, like the system of it sounded really good. Um, I think our play was like a complete strategic disaster. Like it was just like not even I don't know close to a game or something. Um, just like people I think not kind of getting the concept of things and just kind of in general um, I feel like it was just the concept of the game as well kind of how it goes so I don't know uh, I'll give it another try maybe sometime I do have concerns about character powers I think uh, again I think there are some character powers which are unfortunately clearly better than other character powers maybe uh, it's considered an advanced variant to play with character powers. Maybe it's actually better to not play with them. I don't know. Um, well, the we'll, rule book we'll does see. say don't play with them in your first game, but <laughs> yeah. we usually ignore those recommendations. Well, even after having played the first game, like if you kind of read through them, uh, anyway, the, we'll see how, how it kind of goes in, in the future, I guess, uh, with that game. But yeah, um, usually I like Renegade games. Uh, the production actually is really good. Um, I think the uh, that was uh, they actually like glued system to keep the 3D stuff together so it doesn't slide around so you can't knock buildings over which I think is really good touch basically like it looks really good and everything and like I say it, uh, it had a lot of promise on paper maybe I need to give it another try with I don't know with more understanding of the game maybe I don't know uh, we'll, no, I we'll feel see like how that it goes first I guess. play didn't, didn't really count <laughs> in terms of um you know like giving you a good sense of how it plays when you, everyone's playing how it's supposed to be played um yeah i don't but know i see I'm the not promise sure even, in the system 
I'm not even sure I understood like what the heck you're supposed to do in the game because you can play it in several different ways. And again, it's kind of like a groupthink game where uh, a bunch of people can do inefficient actions and someone else can do the efficient actions or something. You know, I don't know. It's it's weird, basically. I'm actually also not sure that the incentives in the game work with like the buildings uh, because building next to people gives you benefits. Um, anyway, like I say, I'm, I'm interested to maybe play it another time to see kind of hopefully... Uh, also, the other thing I don't really appreciate about it is it gives a lot of opportunity for AP because you're not only figuring out the action you're doing, you're figuring out you're figuring out a card to buy with the thought that that card might become the action you're doing in the next round, so like long-term planning or a card in this round. Uh, to make it worse, the cards are also multi-use, so like the decisions are just like ridiculously complicated, I think. Um, but yeah, uh, that's actually not a bad thing, but I was just like, holy crap, this is kind of insane. Like you can definitely spend a lot of time thinking about what the heck you're gonna do because you're basically planning like your next round uh slowly throughout the round so it's kind of like you pick up the cards and then you play them out and then you're playing planning your next round and so forth so it's 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 interesting yeah sure uh i'll give it another try some that some other time all right so that's embarcadero uh next game why don't you introduce it since you i yeah, think yeah. you read the rules Oh yeah, Rush MD, I think is what Trevor's referring to. Uh, Rush MD is a real-time game. I think it's actually really good. Um, it's a real-time game where you're running hospital and you are doctors, um, and you can kind of use uh, nurse pawns as well. So you can basically do, do actions with your pawn, which represents you as the doctor, or the nurse pawns, which are kind of shared. So there's like four of them, I think, or five or six. Maybe there's six, I don't know. Uh, the pawns are actually sand timers. So you put a sand timer on the board and you do an action and it's very thematic. It's actually pretty like easy to explain, I think, because it's like I say, it's very thematic. What you're doing is you're attending to patients in different capacities. First, you have to reveal them, just kind of track them to the hospital or something, or just kind of maybe it represents the receptionist just kind of checking them in. And uh, then a doctor has to see them and assign them to beds or a nurse has to see them to kind of administer medication to the lower severity cases. And then from the ward, they get diagnosed or just get kind of treated again and then they might require surgery. So you are going to this, uh, an operation theater and just kind of doing surgery on them. Um, and then like putting them in beds and you get scored according to how many patients you've treated. Um, there's uh, also a component of refilling uh, resources, resources, which represent kind of like blood serum, pills, whatever, organs actually, hilariously. You can like install organs in people. Did um, not super thematic but kind of funny apparently the organ <laughs> organs come from the, the pharmacy and you just kind of like pick them up uh the game has a dexterity component as well uh, not just the sand timers and deciding which actions you do but there's these places where you have to use tweezers uh, and the components are insane there's actually real syringes in the game not with needles but like just like legit syringes which you unplug and you have to fill them up with these like cylindrical pieces and uh really cool really cool production really 
really cool components. Um, the mini games that you play to, to do diagnostics are really interesting where there's a uh, basically like people require different types of diagnostics and you play these four mini games. Um, but yeah, anyway, what did you think about uh, the game, Trevor? I loved it. Uh, it's, it's so fun. Um, so the interesting thing for me is that this is uh, David Turtsy is one of the designers of uh, this game. By the way, sorry, I don't know if I mentioned this, but like the biggest thing about the game is it's real time. That's why it's sand timers. So it becomes kind of a chaos of people doing actions in real time. And uh, I definitely <laughs> mentioned that. Uh, and the sand timers represent you like taking the action and the rule is if you look away or become involved with something else you have to 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 come back to the action you have to flip the sand timer or wait for it to be like uh exhausted or whatever so it's a real-time game sorry that's the that's a pretty big deal so anyway yeah back to what you were gonna say yeah um so this for some reason these real-time type games this i haven't played a whole ton of them but this uh, the cooperative ones at least are, are the ones that kind of seem a lot of fun um they they remind me of things i did growing up as a kid i played you know like the mario party games or lately there's a game on switch uh called overcooked which i think is kind of more like um kitchen rush which is the sort of the predecessor to this game also a real-time cooperative game um which is that it's just kind of chaotic, but you're all trying to like satisfy something, some conditions by playing a bunch of different mini games. Um, and I like the chaos. I like the cooperation in these games in particular, where you just, you know, you say, uh, we got to take this guy to surgery, but oh my gosh, the things I need in surgery are not in the supply yet. So I need to like shout out to the table. Hey, I need somebody to go over here and put this in the supply. Um, it, so it just has a fun cooperative, uh, you know, collaborative feel to it. The mini games are interesting and they take time to do so you know it, it, there's always just the time pressure of oh my gosh are we going to fail at this or are we going to succeed so it just it has a it just results in just a a really fun experience i think uh the game is i think easy to grasp um and you can get good at it which i which is why i appreciate that the game also allows you to adjust the difficulty um and i think there's a bunch of expansion and module type things to add to it to make it more fun so we'll have to convince matt and justine to <laughs> to go buy more yeah. uh, of, of this game uh overall just very very positive uh reaction from me i i liked the game a lot yeah i think the cooperation aspect of it is really cool i was gonna say they had kitchen rush before by the same publisher i don't know if it's the same designers same publisher for sure i wasn't a super huge fan of kitchen rush like the theme kind of appeals to me less the theme of a hospital theme really kind of appeals to me more and i think like the syringes and the tweezers and the mini games you play are all like way more thematic and fun and just kind of better um i was gonna say the first time we played the game we were really kind of bad at it i think the rules misunderstandings kind of added to it so like we were just a little confused about a bunch of things about like even things like taking actions can you switch between actions what actions are you taking what is an action <laughs> that kind of stuff <laughs> what so is maybe, a game <laughs> yeah <laughs> so anyway uh once we figured that out we actually got better and the game actually got better because uh for example one thing we're doing is like we're doing multiple patients with uh, dealing with multiple patients with the same pawn you're supposed to only focus on one at a time which also is really cool uh 
but I can see kind of how the game can get samey. So I'm actually uh, looking forward to there's these like minor things you can do with the base game where it becomes a little bit more challenging as far as uh, just some conditions that you have to meet and stuff to get benefits. But also, like you say, expansions for it, because I think that could really uh, make the game even cooler. Um, obviously, I think if you have a new person and you play with expansions, they're going to be like, what the heck? Uh, you kind of build up experience with just knowing how things work, I, th I think, in those kind of games. Uh, but yeah, overall, I really like it. Yep, it's a good one. Uh, so that takes us to the conclusion of TrevCon with Ilemat. Yeah, I wasn't really going to talk about it because I play was kind of rushed, but uh, it's a really unique game where it's designed by, well, actually the idea, I guess, came from this band, which is like they make uh, kind of folk music, I guess, or whatever, like indie, uh, I don't know, just uh, to listen to them if, if you want to check them out, the Decemberists. So the idea came from them. They were touring, I think, and they wanted to like create they play board games and they wanted to have some kind of weird game as a prop for photo shoots or something. And someone actually was like, maybe we should actually make it. And they made it. Well, I don't know if they made it. I think like they, uh, the, the designer made it. So I'm not sure what else he's done. Uh, it's a weird card game where it's a set collection card game, which is designed to feel just kind of weird and a little bit like uh some found mystical game or something um it's really really difficult to explain what the game is but basically it involves playing a card and collecting one or multiple cards with these kind of mechanics where it gets a little bit numbery actually i was kind of thinking about that you're kind of looking around and adding up numbers because you can pick up multiple cards if you play like a five you can pick up a three or two you can also build up a stack to take later so it gets a little numbery there's some weird conditions that happen in the game like there's a season thing it's played on a cloth board uh, but i think if you like kind of set collection or just kind of really card games i think that could be a cool game for you definitely not straightforward um the rules are just really strange i think it's like something like cribbage basically where or games like that where there are some really strange rules and it's designed to be that way uh but once you kind of learn it you kind of know how it goes but the learning curve is not the easiest especially in modern gaming modern gaming there are some really strange rules uh what did you think about that trevor actually um the strange rules because i've actually played the game before but it was new to you more than me yeah um i thought that the system was actually neat um it it's basically playing you could play it with face cards i think pretty much um basically almost yeah almost yeah almost you could play it with face cards um and i thought it was kind of interesting that the box was part of the part of the gameplay actually um the i liked the fact that uh the different quadrants were influenced by what season it was and that the seasons could change that was cool. Um, By the way, also, speaking of which, there's a lot of weird terminology in the game. So what is a season? Like, it's a card game. Uh, a you suit. basically, you, you can't do a certain action is what it represents. There's really weird terminology, which adds to the weirdness of the game. Yeah. Um, I thought that it was cool that uh, there's multiple things you could do rather than just 
plop a card down or pick a card up that I think you could, one of the cards is uh, so, so you put a card down in a quadrant, which might mess up something that somebody else is doing there, or it might inadvertently help them depending on what they're doing. Um, I liked, then there's like harvest. So you could just like pick everything up or stockpile, which kind of combines things. I, um, (laughs) two turns in a row, I kind of like mixed combined two actions and created a so harvest action <laughs> by trying to uh cheat which is uh, my favorite thing to do in that game um i th- i thought the system was cool my my one complaint if i had any was that um i i guess it's not super bad because you do have to play the game over several rounds until someone hits 15 points so um theoretically it all kind of balances out but the issue I had was that um, it's kind of prone to if you draw a bad hand, it might just not go well for you. That being said, I think there is some control in the game, so you can maybe use a bad hand and and make the best of it. Um, but for example, in in the last round we played, I I kid you not, I drew a frost card every time. So basically the cards I was using to take cards, I was always getting frost cards, which results in minus two uh, in the end of round scoring. And then I tried to, I tried to then also get the, uh, the, Thing the where most you, cards yeah, overall. The most Just cards. the most cards overall. Yeah, the most cards overall to counteract that, which is you get uh, four points. Um, and then I lost that by like one or two cards. And so I ended up actually getting negative. Po- or maybe I netted it out because I did like take two jokers or fools or whatever it was. And, and, and so I, like, I, didn't, I didn't go down in score, but um, it was definitely kind of a dud round overall. Uh, whereas I think maybe you jumped four or five points, but in the first round I jumped six points and, and not everybody did that. But I, I think over, over the course of play, maybe it all evens out. Um, but that was kind of just my one concern of the game, but I thought it was a, a neat system and, and fun enough to play. Yeah. I mean, um, I think it's, uh, designed to be a card game. I don't think they're balance was really a concern um it's just designed to be a weird card game and i think that it accomplishes that actually really well um i think some people kind of like this the game because it's this band thing with the history of the game the creation of the game is really weird but i actually think it's a pretty solid like card game um like i say uh it's it's like something like cribbage basically where yeah you can kind of do cool things but it's basically what cards you're dealt Uh, but i think the process of playing the game is fun for me i think there's really interesting decisions sometimes things you can do sometimes there aren't interesting decisions if the board is like really bad but sometimes you can pull a clever move or something and just get a point that way or whatever and i think it's kind of fun anyway or you can uh try to influence the seasons to mess with the people who are leading perceptively or something it's just it's just a card game but i think it's uh it's cool it's uh by at least me being a fan of uh card games like that um i enjoy it so that's the only amount uh just in conclusion really quick by the way uh we did play an exit which was kind of a new experience for me it's uh, called exit the game plus puzzle the sacred temple i think they're starting a new line which is more oriented towards the puzzle uh 
what I mean by puzzle is like the physical pieces arranging a picture out of little pieces puzzle as opposed to the like uh, riddles or whatever I'm going to call them that you solve using a regular exit. So the box comes with four puzzles in it, um, meaning like made out of little pieces not like a riddle type puzzle and you kind of put them together and then do a couple of uh, uh, riddles on them and then you just move on to the next one you do a couple of riddles on that uh, very kind of a different vibe from regular exit because in regular exit you kind of cut things a lot and this one it's i feel like more than half the the game is just kind of or time playing the game so to speak is just putting together a puzzle um but i think it i i liked it i think it was really cool it's more for fans of puzzles i think as opposed to board game it's almost like bridging the gap between people who like to do puzzles only uh versus people who only play board games because it's kind of basically both half uh <laughs> half of each but yeah i had a lot of fun with it um i'm looking forward to i think there's a couple of other ones now they're called exit the game plus puzzle so if you like exits and puzzles a really good combo yeah i'd like to try more of those this particular time i was reading rules <laughs> to other games so we could uh play while you guys played that but yeah, yeah it looked like it was a lot of fun yeah the puzzles are a little bit kind of lesser because obviously you can't cut things or like go a little uh, so or fold things with the like you're making a puzzle picture so like what are you going to fold the pieces or something actually i don't know maybe in the future it's coming so never say never but uh, it's a little bit more limited in that aspect of the game but i do enjoy putting puzzles together so that did it for me i guess cool all right, well, that was TrevCon 2021, or June 2021, I guess, because it's not necessarily just once a year. It's just whenever it happens. <laughs> uh, so uh, that's uh, we played a lot of really good games. It was a good week of gaming and ha- had a lot of fun with it. Yep, it was fun. All right, so let's move overall, on to... Overall, I should say. <laughs> yeah, overall. <laughs> not, not every single second of it. Uh, cool, so let's move on to some games on our horizon. Alright, so I was actually kind of looking at the games which have been released and we've been doing a pretty good job at actually keeping up on uh, being released, I guess, have been released recently or are being uh, about to be released. Uh, We've been doing a pretty good job on keeping up on things. Um, One thing that caught my eye is a game called 300 Earth and Water. Um, It does have the 300 theme that you're probably thinking about, which is like the Greek Greek versus Persians or whatever. Uh, It's made by this uh, Japanese designer and he previously has done a lot of like war games, which are larger and more lengthy and have the usual kind of like tables and ridiculous things this one is a half an hour two-player game so because of that it's kind of attractive to me because i think i want to kind of experience the idea of those lengthier board games but not spend like four times four hours playing them which is what ends up um happening with a lot of them uh looks really interesting basically a two-player game of Greeks fighting the Persians. Uh, people say it's there's a lot of clever things on cards. There are some dice, uh, so it is basically like one of those other war, war games or whatever. But I think this might be a really good kind of like uh, 
maybe like you also an evaluation for me like do am i in the future going to get into these weird longer war games with tables and dice and uh, rule book which is like 50 pages long or something or not really um just kind of like a quicker uh playing type game of that kind uh so that's 300 earth and water uh the other thing is we've been playing a lot of nida velir so it's already out and trevor has it but i'm now looking forward to i played it a couple more times over board game arena uh to the expansion thing velir i need to just read the rules and just we both need to just kind of play it so that's that's a thing um like we were mentioning rush md expansions are coming out which uh, is the real-time hospital game which i would really like to play some of them look really interesting and just kind of spice up the game in interesting ways more mini games and just kind of different things uh there's a shards of infinity expansion coming out uh which reminded me of we need to play that game because that's a, like a pure deck building game which i actually enjoy which is kind of rare because i usually don't like the pure deck building games what i mean pure is like no board no nothing else going no on happiness. here just basically yeah no board no happiness just like pump cards over and over and it's all about the cards but i think uh that one is a good one um i i I thought it was a good one, at least when I played it. Maybe uh, my subsequent place will uh, <laughs> diminish that <laughs> opinion. We'll see. <laughs> but since Trevor likes uh, deck building games, I think it's a good one to try. So Shards of Infinity Into the Horizon is the new expansion, but I haven't even played the first one, really. So it's kind of like Shards of Infinity, and we need to play it. And uh, more of a hilarious thing, actually, um, I was looking at games that were kind of in the store today at Demolition, actually, um, and I saw Destinies. I'm not super necessarily looking forward to it, but I was going to make a joke that it looks kind of like the tried and true proven system of uh, Etherfields. Uh, <laughs> what and that is that is the joke uh because everyone hated etherfields but it looks kind of like a very similar concept of people walking around on square tiles and exploring them um it looks like a really cool uh theme though actually um kind of usually i'm not interested in those kind of games but uh playing kind of gloomhaven and the etherfields have kind of expanded my desire to play these kinds of games um looks like there's a nap involved or something but yeah yeah uh, so maybe i'll get to try this game somewhere time of legends destinies it was more of a joke but anyway <laughs> to remind you of the awesomeness of ether fields yeah well i mean pro tip if you're trying to sell me on a game don't compare it to either <laughs> no no it's a total joke no but I, like i was just looking at the back of the board and i kind of started laughing because like the squareness of the tiles and the boards just like really reminded me of ether fields like really elaborate miniature square tiles boards <laughs> it's like wow this, is like, this looks like ether fields <laughs> yay yeah <laughs> so, amazing yeah. i'm so excited anyway, uh, yeah. Okay, well, fun. Uh, I've got two things I'm looking forward to for this week. Uh, one of them is coming out in 2013. <laughs> it's uh, it's an expansion for Ginkopolis. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. That's uh, right. It's coming out in 2013. 
Yeah, so it came out in 2013, but uh, I just saw an Instagram post today from Pearl Games, the publisher, and they're reprinting the expansion now. I don't know if they reprinted the expansion when they did the first print run of Greenkopolis uh, in the recent reprint, um, but I saw the picture of this expansion in their Instagram post, and so this November, I think, is when that's supposed to hit stores. And I really, really liked Ginkopolis. And so I'm excited for this expansion. It's uh, it's modular, uh, so it just basically adds a bunch of new stuff. There's some new buildings um, in each color that are kept separate from the game's tile supply. And then uh, three tiles from the general supply are removed when you're playing with these tiles. So uh, when you draw tiles, you can choose to draw one of those tiles instead of drawing uh, some regular tiles. So it just basically gives like uh, new options, new endgame bonuses maybe. Um, then there's uh, prestige buildings. And these are placed face up in three piles separated by color. Um, and uh, basically when you draw tiles, you can choose to draw one of those prestige building tiles instead of drawing uh, one of the regular tiles. So the basically the gist of this expansion seems to be giving more option and kind of maybe leave you less up to lucky situations in the game which can happen but i think the system's still really cool um then there's like green space tiles added there's events which um usually when you hear events in a game you think it's something in the game that's going to happen to you but this is actually a, the players are starting with event tiles in hand and the event can be played um, during the game and it allows you to gain maybe tiles, resources, or success points in various ways. Um, and uh, one event tile, though, can cause people to lose points. So that it's not all positive, but I think it, it from what it sounds like, it sort of the players might control the destiny a little bit there. Uh, there's also an alternate rule to allow... Uh, players to keep cards from turn to turn. So uh, maybe you maybe you get a card you really want to do on one turn, but you're not quite ready. Uh, you can hold on to that card and do it your next turn. So this allows for a little bit more planning. Um, and then there's a a new type of character called card called experts, um, which is basically at the start of the game you're going to start with four cards and two experts. Then you draft, and then you end up ultimately with three character cards and one expert. So it just kind of maybe gives you a little bit more of an asymmetric start or some sort of ability thing at, at the beginning. Uh, I just it just sounds like a bunch of welcome additions to an already cool game. So I'm looking forward to trying that one. Uh, the other game I'm looking forward to is currently on Kickstarter. Um, I think it's got about two weeks left as of June 9th, and it's called Fall of the Mountain King. This is a prequel, or precursor, I don't know, the game that happened before uh, in the Hall of the Mountain King which is a burnt island game about uh, basically trolls trying to rebuild their kingdom in under the mountain. And uh, basically it's like a polyomino pick up and deliver kind of game. Uh, really cool game. And this follow the mountain game, follow the mountain King game is uh, the, the description on Kickstarter calls it a bloodless area control uh, because the theme is this is, 
when the trolls get destroyed by the gnomes. <laughs> so you play as different troll factions, and it sounds like you're not really trying to kill each other. You're more just like trying to gain favor of different uh, different tribes in the troll kingdom or whatever under the mountain. And over, I think the game's played over three rounds or something like that. And at each round, there's an onslaught of gnomes that happens, and they move through the they move through the board in certain ways. And so you kind of try to position yourself to be in certain areas. And um, there's this cool looking action uh, system where you're playing these square looking cards with different icons on them and you have to overlap cards you played previously and then depending on where you place and what symbols are adjacent your actions are going to be either really good or maybe less good depending on how many of the same symbol you have stacked together so it just seems like a, a neat game. I haven't read a ton about it yet, uh, but it uh, it looks like it might be an interesting twist on an area control game. So that's uh, Fall of the Mountain King. I don't know if you've looked at this one yet. No, I didn't even know it's there, but um, I'll look at it. Yeah, I'm interested. They look like they basically reused exactly the same theme, but completely different game. So yeah, I'll have to see kind of how it plays and figure it out. But looks looks good. The production, at least, it looks really good as as expected. Yes, very. I mean, in, like basically not at all the same game. It just has the same theme, like you said. Yeah. Looks like it could be fun. It's not designed by Jay Cormier, who who designed uh, in the Hall of the Mountain King, I believe, but he is involved as a developer of the game. So there's some common DNA elements there, probably. Yep. Sounds pretty cool, actually. All right. I think that's an episode. So thanks for listening, everybody. We'll catch you in a couple weeks. Cards and Cubes has been a production of Pod Cauldron. Check out some other great podcasts on the Pod Cauldron Network, including Bub Club, a horror movie podcast, Rabble Rabble Rabble, a comedic look at current events, and Steady Diet of Music, a bi-weekly fix of opinions by musicians. You can get a hold of Cards and Cubes via email, Cards and Cubes podcast at gmail.com or visit our website www.cardsandcubes.com We'd like to thank Kirsten Adams for designing our logo. Find more of Kirsten's art on Instagram at catcoffee, that's K-A-T-C-O-F-F-E-E We'd also like to thank Lindsay Hobbs for composing the theme and thank all of you for listening and we will return in a couple of weeks.